Blog Talk Radio.
We are so desperate for you, Lord. We are so desperate for you, Lord Jesus. We need more of you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Shalom, shalom, my brother, my sister. Welcome to the Lord's hour. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I hope everyone can hear me fine. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise to God. Thank you there, Brother Javon. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jeremiah 30. The prophet Jeremiah said, the word, I, the word I came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Hallelujah. Thus speak, speak as the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write all these words that I have spoken unto thee in this book. For, Lord, the day comes as the Lord that I will bring back from captivity my people, Israel and Judah says the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their father, and their and they shall possess it. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God knows the captivity a sinner can get himself into. And so he always has to have a plan to get them out. The plan is salvation. The plan is mercy. The plan is his blood. They have to cleanse us make us ready to make us right standing, righteousness before God. So he always has to have a plan to get us out. Because the only things we know how to do is get ourselves in. So God has to get us out. Because all we know how to do is get our feet in trouble, our feet in sin, our life in sin, our life in trouble. So God has to get us out. Hallelujah, because we are messy boys. So I tell my children, you're so messy. Praise your Lord. All we know how to get ourselves into the mess. And God has to get us out. And praise God for his love and mercy that endure forever. That he, he works for us to get us out. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's like we can see the, a part of a bird. Hallelujah. And all we want to do is jump into it. Hallelujah, but the mercy of the Lord endures forever. And he always has a plan to get us out. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, God. And so God says, the Lord, the day comes as the Lord that I will bring back from captivity my people, Israel and Judah. And Lord, the day is the day. This is the, the day the Lord has made. And this is the day when, when God looks at Israel and said, I'm going to have to deliver my people. Being surrounded by all their enemies, their enemies have planned to destroy them. They are, they are plan, they have planned, but it's no good. And so as the Lord is working with his bride, rebuking the bride, making sure the bride, hallelujah, knows and understands that God is holy, that he wants us to be always looking for him. Why? Because he's, he's the only help. He's the only helper, true helper, that we have to help. No one else can, but only the Lord. And the Lord is the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only God. So he wants us to be focused on him because he's the only one that can help us, truly, truly. That can truly help us. No one else can. I mean, you, you might be able to give someone a cup of water, some food, some money, some clothing, a ride. You might be able to help people 
We're little things. But the most important thing is our soul, our spiritual life. Our soul that can only go to heaven or go down to hell. And so the Lord is the only one that can deliver us from hell. And we will go there without any break. Like a car without any break. Hallelujah. And that's where the world is heading. The world is heading straight to hell in a car with broken brakes. So Jesus, hallelujah, has to help the world. The only way you're going to get off that car, heading straight to hell without any break, if you receive Jesus and get your life into the ark. So Jesus is the ark. It's a secure ark for anyone to escape. And the times of now, the only escape was the ark. Jesus, God, always God, the always Jesus, I always been the only way out. You see, Abraham was old, Sarah was old, to not be any children. The Lord had to step in there, hallelujah, and perform a miracle because the God of the Father of Abraham could not do anything about it. It has to be the real God, the true God, the only way, the only truth, the only true help. Jesus had to step, had to come into the scene, into the life of Abraham, friend of God, and say, I'm here. Praise God. By this kind of year, Sarah, Hallelujah. We'll have a son. We'll have a baby. Praise you, Lord. She was of age. He was of age. Praise you, Lord. He could normally have had no baby. So a miracle has to come from God for them to be able to have a baby. Thank you, Jesus. And then we see God in the life of Isaac. We see God in the life of Jacob. Then we see God in the life, hallelujah, of Jacob's son. But specifically Joseph, God has to always step into any situation that you and I are going through to deliver us. He's the only true deliverer. Deliverers, brothers and sisters. He has to help us. He has to step into the scene. He has to step into our life. And he has to, hallelujah, come and help us. Because all we know is get ourselves in trouble. But he has to get us out. He always has to get us out. Because he knows that if he, if he leaves it up to us, hallelujah, we make of our mess even worse. Thank you, Jesus. And I hope that you understand when you pray to God that we totally need God. And if we are to change, he has to help us. Because we cannot change ourselves. He has to change us. And he has to help us even to pray. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> he has to help us to pray. He has to help us to fast. And I had so much trouble fasting. Until one day, the Lord led me to understand that he could help me. His spirit could help me. I said, Lord, wow. Okay, help me, Lord. I asked. I said, he let me know that if I would ask him for help, he would help me. And I will not struggle as much. I will not struggle as I used to struggle in fasting. Praise the Lord. I will always either break my fasting, drink water, or eat something. It was so hard for me to fast. 
thank you, Lord. But the Lord in his mercy revealed to me that if I can call him for help in my fasting, and he would help me. Thank you, Lord. So I, I started calling on the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. After he revealed to me, John 15, 4. John 15, 4. Without me, there's nothing you can do in five. Thank you, Lord. He told his disciples. And I grabbed that for myself, and I said, I understand now what the Lord is saying to me. Hallelujah. What he said to his disciples is so true. It is, it is so true. Praise you, Lord. I need to know this. I need to have this in my heart. I need to apply this to my life. I need to understand that God, Jesus, is nothing I can do. Praise the Lord. And as I pray this to the Lord, the Lord let me know he was very pleased that I was able to understand that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's so important. Many Christians don't know this. And the Lord can help us with anything, any problem, because all that, that's all we know how to get ourselves into problems, difficult things. Amen. And if you find yourself as a Christian, not being able to fast, not being able to pray, not being able to seek God, not being able to spend time with God, ask the Lord to help you to spend time with him. Ask the Lord to help you to get up in the morning and pray. If you're having a problem getting up and pray, ask the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, to help you to pray, to help you to seek him, to help you to be holy, to help you to be righteous. God's going to be perfect. God's going to keep his commandment. And watch out the Lord will help you as you cry out. But do it sincerely. Do it from all your heart. Ask Jesus to help you, and Jesus will help you. Jesus will keep you the strength. Jesus will give you the knowledge. Jesus will make you capable of being able to keep his commandment, being able to work his commandment, being able to work by faith. He will give you the same knowledge and wisdom for you to work by faith, for you to serve him. For you to be his servant and serve him well, brothers and sisters, which is very important in these last days. Well, we serve him well, but it's so difficult if the Lord is not helping. If we're not running to depend on the Lord, if we are not learned to call upon the Lord, to say, Lord, help me. Lord, I need your help. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. And as we go unto the name of the Lord, praise you, Lord. The Bible said we will be saved. He will help us. Thank you, Jesus. We need him so much. We need him so much. Thank you, Lord. For Lord prophesied Jeremiah, the day comes, said the Lord, that I will bring back from that captivity my people Israel and Judah, said the Lord. It has to be the Lord that does it. It has to be the Lord that help us. It has to be him. He has to be our helper. Thank you, Jesus, says David. We have to call upon the name of the Lord. And we will be saved. He will deliver us, brothers and sisters. He will get us out of the biggest trouble we can get ourselves into. The Lord Jesus can help us get ourselves out. Thank you, Jesus. If we call upon his name, if we pray to him, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. He will help us. Thank you, Lord. These are the words of the Lord spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah, says verse 4. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard, we have heard, a voice of trembling and fear and I'm not, uh, and not a peace. When you hear the news, when you hear what's going on on the news, when you hear what's going on in the world, it's not a voice of peace because peace can only come from Jesus, the Prince of Peace. 
You're not going to get peace from the news. You're not going to get peace from the world. And the peace being talked about in the world is not like the peace Jesus can give us. Totally different thing. And that's why you have people taking so much medication, so much pills, because they have no peace. But that peace can be given to us by the Prince of Peace, our Lord Jesus Christ. We heard boys are trembling. People are hearing about nuclear weapons, uh, missiles and bombs and all that. And, and, and it's trembling. and making them trembling to God. A fear and no peace. Thank you, Lord. It's, it's what people hear in these last days. Because this word was given to Jeremiah. You're going to find out for the last days. It's for the last day. For God say the Lord, we have heard boys of trembling. Fear. Fear. That's what's in the news. Bad news. A fear and not a peace. Thank you, Lord. In the nothing worse, when people, all they do is watch the news. Watch the bad news. Watch the things that are going around. But they're not calling them to the Lord. The one that can give them peace. The one that can help them. If they're not calling unto the Lord, they're under fear. If they're not under the fear of the Lord, they are under fear of the devil, the fear of the world, and not of peace. God have mercy. Verse 6, as ye know and see whether a man that in travail with a shower, that a man travail with a shower, why do I see every man with his hand on his loin as woman as a woman travail, and no faces are turned into uh, paleness. Now, a lot of experts, a lot of people who study the Bible for a long time, they say that what Jeremiah, uh, what is being told to Jeremiah, is, or what is being revealed to the prophet Jeremiah here, uh, people having their hand on their loin, praise to God, they're talking about World War Three. It's what a lot of people are saying. World War Three is what they come and pale and turn and. and uh, uh, faith turned into paleness, talking about uh, um, either uh, people lack of food, be lack of food, because that's one thing we know about the tribulation, lack of food. Because this is God dealing with Judah and Israel. And, and the tribulation is when God is going to deal with Judah and Israel, brothers and sisters, and the tribulation. So this word is actually for the tribulation people don't realize. It can be applied to our life now because we hear, we hear almost a word. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Like it says in First Thessalonians 5. Thank you, Jesus. The same thing Paul said to the church, Thessalonians 5. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So when we say, when they are saying peace and safety, God and destruction come upon them as a survey upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape, says Paul. Hallelujah. Jesus said, rumors of water in Matthew 24. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. And we know this is about the tribulation, hails, nuclear weapons are going off, because verse 7 says, Alas, for the day is great. That's a great tribulation. So a none is like, hallelujah, it is even the time of Jacob's trouble that he should be saved out of it. The trouble will be great. That's why Jesus called it the tribulation. Hallelujah. It's called the great tribulation. Not just the tribulation. It is called the great tribulation. It will be such a great tribulation, says the Lord, like it never been and like it never be again. Now Turkey 
supposedly not not official information found a Russian Russian plane, and that who are these people that did this? Those are Muslims. Most of the people in Turkey are Muslims, brothers and sisters. And and what is happening here is they are provoking Russia. Is what they would do. This is a plan of them to provoke Russia to attack Turkey because all the country will join. That's what they're doing, brothers and sisters. All the country wants to join against Russia. But the whole purpose is not just about Russia. They want to come against Israel. Netanyahu visited the Russian uh, president Putin a few days ago. And even supposedly on the new share uh, uh, information, hallelujah, information out of, out of Syria, spied information, uh, they said that Netanyahu gave President Putin, and praise the Lord, and, and all this, this happens in the north of Syria, border with, hallelujah, with Turkey. Not necessarily needed to be their space because they border each other. And I look at the map where they say they knocked down the plane. That is still, that is still Syria land. That is not Turkey land. That is Syria's land, brothers and sisters. As you see, they have to say that. They have to misinform people and tell people they were in, hallelujah, in Turkey land. But I went into the map and I looked where they point the plane was knocked down. That is not Turkey land. That is Syria's land, according to what is being shown in the map. So why do they do it? Provoking. And they're going to do more than that. They're going to do more than that. Their plan is not for good. It's not for good. I'm going to show you in the Word. Their plan is not for good. Thank you, Jesus, for his word, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord. And so all these things that are happening, it's being formed for Armageddon later on because they want to come against Israel. But the timing, the timing is almost there, and a lot of people don't realize the tribulation is about to begin. The bear, which is Russia, has waken up. The tribulation is about to begin. The Middle East is in total chaos. Obama is getting out before it gets worse because it's going to get worse. The Lord showed me, which I should be on the Lord's hour two years ago or more, that the United States will not be involved when Israel gets attacked. I said this. You can look it up in my message. I said this very clear. The Lord showed this to me. This is why Obama is getting out, because the United States will be involved when Iran and all these nations are attacking Israel. Okay. United States people will go to Congress, will go to Washington, and they will beg Congress to please help out Israel. The Lord showed this to me. Praise the Lord. And that's exactly what's going to happen, and I'm seeing the signs of it. I'm seeing the signs of it. United States will not get involved, brothers and sisters. The Lord show me. They will provoke all this trouble, but they will not get involved. People will beg them, and that will take everything into the tribulation. The bride of Christ is not going to see, will see the beginning, but not, not, not the middle or the end of it. Because this is going to get real bad. Because they're going to use nuclear weapons there. That's where all this is heading, brothers and sisters. And Turkey and these nations have it, and they're going to use it. They're not going to hesitate. So, verse 7, alive. What's it in the chat room? Thank you, Lord. All right, it's there already. Alas, for the day is great. Oh, hey, listen. For the day is great, so that none is like it. I mean, I'm, I'm actually reading this in Hebrew. Alas, 
of the day of the man is like it, it even the time of Jacob travel, that he should be saved out of it. He should be saved out of it, brothers and sisters. God is going to save Jacob, Israel. The apple of his eyes, he's going to save them. Thank you, Jesus, because he knows how bad he's going to get. But the Lord will, will, will save them. He saved them out of captivity. He's bringing them back to the land. And what do you think he needs to do? He needs to save them. Hallelujah, because he's a merciful and good God. Verse 8. For it shall come to pass in, in that day, and that's talking about the last day, it will come to pass in that day, where the Lord of hosts, what will come to pass in that day? That I will break a joke from out his neck, I will burst thy bond, and strangers should no more be more be served by him. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jacob will not serve any nation no more. Israel is not going to serve any nation no more. It's not going to be friendship with the United States no more. It's the Lord. He is not going to serve their enemy no more. Friendship to the enemy will not be sought no more, says the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 8. Now read it again. For it shall come to pass in that day, said the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from out his neck. Praise the Lord. And yoke, we know what a yoke is in the, in the spirit of speaking. Hallelujah. I will burst by bond. Hallelujah. So spiritually, Israel will be awakened, is what God is saying to us. Spiritually, Israel is going to be set free. It's going to be awakened. The yoke and the bond of the neck. It will burst the bond. And the stranger should no more be served by him. The relationship Israel has with nations is that they get from the nation, but they also serve the nations. Why have Israel, how have Israel been serving the nation since 1964? It, Israel has been serving the U.S. since 1964 by providing technology. Hallelujah. Providing technology, providing intelligence. Providing intelligence at the Middle East. Because now, no one in the Middle East like Israel has all the intelligence of Iran, of Syria, of Egypt, of any of these nations around Israel. No one like Israel has more intelligence than they do. So they provide intelligence the U.S., and we saw a few days to Russia, even of Syria. And Russia has been so, for many years, friends with Syria, but Israel has more information about Syria and all the people and everything they do there, all the trafficking, all the weapons, all the weapon warehouse, all the base, base, military base, all the building, all the intelligence they have. Israel has more intelligence in the world than any other nation about their own enemy. And so they have been providing for law from over 30 years to, 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 um, the, to the United States. So they've been serving this nation. But God says in his word, and strangers, look what the word God uses, brothers and sisters, stranger. Stranger, your friend is not a stranger. So it's when your, your friend has left you, have broken the relationship with you, now it's a stranger. And God, by the time God says to the prophet, they will be a stranger. United States and in, in Israel are going to be strangers. And that's where the relationship is heading. Stranger. 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 
Okay, and so no more we serve by it. The relate God's relation will be cut off. No more. No more. My relationship will be there in the last. This was prophesied what three, four thousand years ago. <laughs> Everything is in the Word of God, brothers and sisters. Verse nine. But they should serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto death. I want you to notice something. How God says, I will, I will raise up unto them. Where David? Or literally dead. He needs to be raised. He needs to be raised from the dead. And God says, I'm going to raise David unto them. Whom I will raise unto them. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. He's going to raise them. Going to raise him. He's going to raise David. But more than that, Jesus came, hallelujah, from David. Praise the Lord. David is going to be the king in the new millennium. In the new millennium, praise the Lord, David is going to be Israel's king. But Yeshua, Jesus, is going to be among them to protect them, to deliver them. I seen them. The Lord took me there. And I saw that Jesus among them protecting them. He will be raised out after them. Right now, he has been raised after them because he came to them and they receive enough. They receive enough. Praise the Lord. But the receiving that was not made of sons and daughters of God. But that did not receive them after wait until the tribulation, until the trouble comes. Because Israel. The only way they call out to the name of the Lord, the only way they come to God is when they are in trouble. And this time, the trouble is going to be great. Great revelation. They're going to get themselves in so much trouble this time. But the Lord is merciful. His mercy endures forever. And he's going to deliver Israel. I see he's delivered you and I out of so much trouble so many times. He's going to deliver, hallelujah, Jacob one more time. And he's going to raise David as the king. Isn't that great? Thank you, Jesus. That's the Lord there. Be in there for the, uh, the king. For they should serve the Lord their God. They're going to serve the Lord. But David will be the king. You didn't think that David will be the king in the, in the tribulation when he raised him up in Jacob's trouble. I said that. Uh, you didn't notice that there, right? Thank you, Lord. He's going to raise him up. He's going to raise him up as the Lord. Why? Because he's dead. The dead will be risen first. The dead will be risen first. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 10. Therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord. Neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar. Thank you, Lord. In thy seed from the land of their captivity, in Jacob shall shall return and shall be in rest and be quiet and none shall make him afraid. Thank you, Jesus. Why? Because the tribulation is all about fear. The tribulation is all about fear, brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. None should make him afraid. Because that's what the tribulation is. It's all about fear. It's all about demon. Everyone is afraid, but not Israel. None will make him afraid. What is going on in Israel? That none will make them afraid. David is raised, and they are serving the Lord. They're serving the Lord. They have finally realized they've been so far from God. They are calling upon the Lord, upon the name of the Lord. They're crying out to God. He's delivering Jacob out of trouble. 
because hallelujah, all we know how to do is get ourselves in trouble. And all Israel and all the history have done, read the book of Judges, all they have done is get themselves in trouble. That's all they have done. But the Bible said every time they call upon the name of the Lord, he delivers them. He delivers them. Thank you, Lord, for his mercy, brothers and sisters. His mercy, my goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And Israel understand that, brothers and sisters, more than anyone. Thank you, Lord. And they're going to call upon the name of the Lord, and they are going to be saved. They are going to be delivered again. Thank you, Jesus, and this great revelation. There's a lot of people, as I said, are being, are being led to Israel, brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. In four years, according to what I hear online, Israel will be independent from the United States financially and from the world, too, from the world. Thank you, Lord. And just like other nations like China have raised their economy to be independent of other nations, Israel, even better, because China is in there, too, hallelujah, will be totally independent, hallelujah, and will be able to run their economy and, and, and plan and do what they want and have all the protection they want, all the intelligence they want. Thank you, Jesus, for his wisdom. It has to be the Lord. Verse 11. For I am what deep is the Lord to save thee, though I make a full end of all nations. Look at God says in regard to Israel. What is God going to do in regard to Israel? To save thee, though I'll, I'll make a full end of all the nations. When it has to do with Israel, God said, all the nations I will end them. I will finish them. I will destroy them. With regard to Israel, brothers and sisters, God for all men. He truly loves his people. I will make an end of all nations with a strategy. So all the nations where they had Jewish people, God said, where I strategy, where you were, where you live, I'm going to end them. Yeah, I will not make a plan of thee, but I will, I will correct thee and measure, and I will not leave thee altogether unpunished. Hallelujah. So don't think it's, it's going to be so sweet. I'm going to punish you too. But I like to end you like I'm ending all these nations. I punish this nation. I took my bride of them. I saved my bride. I bought my bride home. But the rest I destroyed. Boy, it's going to be difficult. Because the only way people are going to be saved in this tribulation is by being beheaded. Giving up the life of Jesus. And the Lord is preparing many people to give up the life for him now. A lot of people don't realize that they are being prepared to give the life for him in the tribulation right now. When Jesus spoke this two weeks ago, I said, what? I was so surprised. I told Sister Carla. I told her sister. I said, the Lord told me he's preparing people through the Lord's hour to be murdered for him in the tribulation. I don't know how to say this on the Lord's hour. I don't know how to come out and tell this to people. But not everyone will misunderstand those that are ready he's taking home. There are those that are still playing games. Those that are not repenting. Those that are not seeking him seriously. That are taking their salvation like a game. They're taking their salvation as a game. Those are the people he's talking about. Those he's getting them ready. He's having mercy on them to prepare them to be murdered. The Lord told me he's doing. God have mercy. God have mercy. Verse 12. For that says the Lord. Thy bruises are curable, and thy wound is glorious. 
It is God. When God says that the wound of Israel is incurable, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Don't look for help in any man, God is saying. Don't think any man will help you. No, no one can help you but only I. That's what God said. Only Jesus will help us. Only the Lord will heal the wound. Because he was, he died. He suffered. He was wounded for our transgression. So he, he's the only one that can heal the wound of Jacob. He's the only one that can heal my wound, your wound, the world wound. Because he was wounded for us on the cross. Hallelujah. He carried, hallelujah, a holy cross of sin to be able to forgive you and I, to be able to restore us, to be able to heal us, to be able to get us back in relationship with God. Thank you, Jesus, for what he done for us on the cross. That's why the wound that you and I have, only Jesus can heal. Thank you, Lord. He was wounded for our transgression, says Isaiah. Praise you, Lord. Because our transgression was so great, was so grievous in the eyes of God that Jesus, the Son of God, needed to be wounded in order for us to be forgiven. Brothers and sisters, the people don't know how much sin costs. It is easy to sin. But the price of sin is so high. You and I cannot pay for it. But only Jesus Christ who gave his own life that we may have life on the cross. The cost of sin, it is too expensive and no one can pay. Bill Gates with all his money cannot pay for his own sin. Are you listening? Bill Gates with all his money cannot pay for his own sin. Cannot pay for his own because Jesus Christ paid a higher price, his own life. For the sins of the world. And only in this way our sin can be forgiven by Father God. So the one of Jacob, only the Messiah Jesus can forgive their sin. Because he was wounded for their transgression on the cross. Their wound is incurable by men, only curable by God. And thy wound is grievous. Because you don't understand how much sin can. Hallelujah, wound your own life. A lot of people are wounded by sin. A lot of women, a lot of brothers are wounded by fornication, by adultery. They are wounded for what they did. And then you hear people say, I wish I never done that years ago. I wish I never done that way years ago. Because of the wound of their sin. And only the Lord can cure. They feel it's uncurable. They feel it's uncurable. And when they come to the Lord, they understand forgiveness. Sometimes the Lord allows it for us to get the understanding of what he done on the cross. Some people are say, as the Lord in his mercy has shown them what he suffered on the cross for their sins, they cry and cry and cry. And they said, oh, God, have mercy. Thank you for your mercy. See how wounded he was for our transgression. How wounded he was for our sins. Hallelujah. He was wounded, brothers and sisters. Deeply wounded. And those wounds only God. Hallelujah. And heal. 
for he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his side we were healed. He was bruised for our iniquities. The price of sin is so high that only Jesus Christ can pay for it. And he can only pay for it by his life. The people don't know how much sin costs. That's why we are told not to sin. Little children. Hallelujah. John says, sin not. He recommends that we will not sin. The Apostle John in his letter. That we will sin not. Why? Because sin costs so much. And a lot of people don't realize. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. A lot of people don't realize the cost of sin. They just don't realize. Hallelujah. First John 2 says, My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate, a lawyer, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he has a propitiation for our sin. And not, just, not for our only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandment. It's the first recommendation, Justin. John says, I recommend that you will sin now. That you will not sin. Because you, a lot of people don't understand the price of sin. It is too high. You cannot pay. You cannot pay for your sin. That's why it's so hard for people to get into heaven. Unless they receive Jesus. Unless they repent their sin, they cannot get into heaven. A lot of family would love to have their loved ones who are doing all kinds of evil things up there come to heaven when they die. And sometimes the Lord in a, in a, in a dream will show them they're not in heaven. And they cry, God, they cry bitterly and they say, why, Lord, why? A lot of people don't understand how difficult it is to get into heaven. It is so difficult to get into heaven. Sin costs us a high price. Christ and only Jesus can pay that price. Only the Messiah Jesus can. A lot of people don't realize. They don't. They don't realize how much it costs to sin. Verse 13. There is none to plead thy cost. That thou may be born up, that thou hast no healing medicine. Why does he talk about healing medicine here? Because he knew we will have doctor in the last day. Medicine, science will advance. People will be able to make a uh, ship to the moon. He knows how science will be in the last day. And that people will try to apply medicine. Living a sinful life, and, and they will look. They will go to the doctor for help. They will try to have the doctor, the doctor prescribe them the medication to ease the pain. Have a lot of people dying in the hospital or in their home, having all kinds of prescription from the doctor to ease their pain. But the the pain they have in their soul, nothing can ease them but the blood of Jesus, but repenting their sins to Jesus. And a lot of people don't even know that. They don't even know that, brothers and sisters. There's none to plead thy cause. Look what God says. There's none to plead thy cause. 
Besides God, there's no one you can go to. Besides Jesus, there's no one you can go to. Understand this, this nine. That we cannot go to anyone. We cannot go to man. We cannot go to religion. The only one, hallelujah, that can forgive our sin when we repent is Jesus Christ. That now may man is devoured up. That someone can heal you. Bind your wounds. That now have no, no healing medicine. None of the medicine from your earth will be able to bind your soul. The pain in your soul is felt. But the Messiah, Jesus, is the only one. The Messiah is the only one that can do that. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 14. All thy lovers have forgotten thee. Boy, when, when I, when, years ago, when I heard, when I came to the United States, how much they love Israel. From Ronald Reagan and all these presidents, George Bush's father. This how they claim to love Israel, how they claim to support Israel, how they claim to stand with Israel. And you will turn it on television and you hear them speaking this way. I came to this nation and I heard how much they love Israel. And, and it pleased me. It just pleased me how this nation loved Israel. Back back in the 80s, brothers and sisters, I came to, to the U.S. in 86. You can put it on the news. You can hear this nation, people standing for Israel. You hear people on television standing for Israel. How much they love Israel. Praise the Lord. Lovers of Israel. But look what God says now about Israel lovers. And all thy lovers are forgotten thee. It's on the word of God that the United States, the Lord of Israel, will forgotten thee. The people in the United States, the government that say so much they love thee, your lover now says, I've forgotten thee. It's in the word of God, brothers and sisters. Everything is in the word of God. Everything. Remember this. The Lord told me this. Jesus told me this. Everything is in my word, my son. Everything is in the word. Anything we need to know, we just need the Lord to help us, to show us where. But it's all there. All thy lover have forgotten thee. I used to hear how much they love Israel. We stand for Israel. And God said, all thy lover have forgotten thee. In the last days, that's it. They're going to forget Israel. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. For I have wounded thee. Who wounded Jacob? Who wounded Israel? Well, let's see. Let's go back to Genesis. Who wanted, who wanted Jacob on his side? The angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ. What do you think that wounded was? That was prophetic. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until I bless me. Thou bless me. But he wounded him on his side. On his, um, yes. On his limb. He wounded him. He wounded What does that mean? That after God wounded Jacob, only God can heal Jacob. No medicine can. No doctor can. But only the Lord, only the Messiah can. He was the Messiah that wounded him. I wounded thee. For I have wounded thee with the wound of an enemy. With the chastisement of a cruel one for the multitude of thy iniquity, because thy sin will increase. He wounded Jacob from the beginning till now. And Jacob has been walking this way, wounded on one side, 
through the wilderness, it was so hard for Jacob. Why? Because Jacob was wounded. There is sin that only increased. You see, God knows each and one of us. God knows that if he doesn't do certain things in our life, we our sin will only increase. You even have to help us to stop sinning. Ask the Lord in your prayer, Lord, stop me from sinning. Stop me from sinning. You better ask the Lord to help you to stop from sinning because if your sin increase, he might win you by Jacob. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. He wounded Jacob because their iniquity increased. He will not stop sinning. He will not stop sinning. People that keep sinning, this guy, I remember this testimony of this guy that will go online last year. We'll go online and I guess look at women and this and that, pornographic material. Someone reported him and they reported him to all the internet company and blocked him from going online. And who did that? The Lord. Why did the Lord did that? To save his soul. Because if God has a purpose with us, he'll do anything. Thank you, Lord. Ask the Lord to stop you from sinning. He wounded Jacob. Remember this. Because of the multitude of his iniquity, brothers and sisters. That's why he wounded Jacob. Jacob will not stop sinning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Always ask the Lord for help. Don't keep on without asking the Lord. Because you also might be wounded. I have heard it from people that have been wounded themselves face to face. And it's not pretty. Jacob now had to walk. His work was very difficult. Very difficult. Praise your Lord. His work was very difficult with the Lord. People, some people walk, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. His tie. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And it, it was out of his joint, and he wrestled with him. Because he wrestled with the Lord. He wrestled with the Lord. So he wounded him on his side. But Jacob could not walk straight. Jacob, it was so difficult his life after that. After the Lord wounded him. It was so difficult for Jacob. Hallelujah. I have wounded me with a wound of an enemy, with a chastisement of a cruel one. For the multitude of thy iniquity, because thy sin will increase. Thy sin was increased. Even though the Lord did this, but he did it to save Jacob. To serve, to save a remnant out of Jacob. To save a remnant. Because a lot of them are going to die. And many of them have died. But just to save a remnant. He did this, brothers and sisters. He wounded him. Thank you, Lord. To save your own soul. Verse 15. Why cries thou for thy affliction? The sorrow of, is uncurable for thy multitude of thy iniquity. Because of thy sin were increased, I have done these things unto thee. Hallelujah. In other words, you will complain to the Lord. You say, Lord, why me? Why have this happened to me, Lord? But all the Lord has done is, it's good for you. His goodness, his mercy for you. You're wounded. You're probably in pain. You're probably going through things you don't, you don't even thought about going through in your life. But it's all has been the Lord to save your soul, to save you. 
thank God for the things he has allowed into your life. Because although you've been suffering and going through so much in your life, the Lord did this to save you, to rapture you for his bride. That's why he did this. It is not pleasing, not pleasing unto the Lord to do this to you. But in other words, it's to save you, to save you, to save your soul. And there's not, no one can pay the money for a soul, but only the life of Jesus. Only the Lord can say, verse 16. Therefore, all they that have devoured, they should be devoured. And though not all thy adversary, every one of them, to go into captivity, and then that the spoil of thee should be spoiled, and all that, that upon thee, I will give for a prey. Thank you, Lord. So this is why all these nations are coming down in the tribulation. Because they're looking out to devour Israel. And God said, they're looking, they're looking, all they are devoured, they should be devoured. God is going to allow Satan and all his demons to devour these nations. The kill still will destroy all these life. Because they plan to destroy Israel. And God said, all right, then, well, you go through your thing in the tribulation. And all my adversary, every one of them, to go into captivity. Now, demons, as some people have seen in the revelation from the law about the tribulation, are running people captive in the Middle East. They're running people by multiple captive, like slaves in Egypt. I guess we're looking at you, slave captive and chain and all that. Why is this, someone says to me. Well, look what the word of God says. They go into captivity because they plan evil for Israel. And God is punishing them for what they have done. And they that destroy these should be despoiled. All the riches they have, they're going to lose. And all the prey upon thee, I will give unto a prey. They become a prey. Because all they have in their heart and their life and their mind was to make Israel a prey. And God is punishing them, brothers and sisters. That's what he's doing in the tribulation. It will be such a great tribulation like it never been or never be again. Prophesying Yeshua Jesus. I am telling you. Verse 17. For I will restore, I will restore health unto thee. I will heal thee of thy wound, says the Lord. Because they call thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion, who no man seeketh after. Oh, here it is. Thank you, Jesus. They are complaining about Israel. Thank you, Lord. But God says, I will restore health unto thee. Hallelujah. So the pain of Jacob, the, 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 the wounded and the tie is going to be healed. The Jewish people will finally walk straight from now on. They've been limping, hallelujah, because of the wound. They've been going through so much because they're wounded. That God says he's going to heal them. I will heal thee of thy wound, says the Lord. See, only the Lord can heal. Only Jesus can heal. Only the Messiah can heal. Messiah Yeshua, Messiah Jesus. So he has to heal Israel of their wound, brothers and sisters. He's going to have to heal them in the tribulation because they call, because they call me an outcast. In another way, they call you have no God. It's someone... Just walking up there without any help, uh, hope or help. God says he's going to help them. Not, they will not be an outcast anymore. They will not be around the nation no more. 
looking to have a nation. They will have a nation, and God will make sure they own their land. Right now, the U.N. is trying to divide their land. Hallelujah. Good luck. Good luck. Because they're not going to divide our holy land that belongs to the Jewish people, to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the land given to them by God. And in any man vote to agree that Jerusalem be divided in two, so will their own life be divided in two. Their own life be divided in two. I'm telling you, God is very serious. Very serious. They that is worthy to be a spoil. They will lose everything. Not only their life, even their salvation. If they're spoiled. It might be that someone can repent and be saved and be beheaded for Jesus in the tribulation. Of course, the Lord is merciful. I saw people who, was, who came out of the tribulation just the other night, last few days, in the millennium. People that came out of the tribulation, the Lord is merciful. John sees in Revelation 20 a great multitude that comes out of the tribulation. Great multitude. Praise you, Lord. Yes, God is merciful. He will save thousands and millions and even billions of people in the tribulation who are willing to die for Jesus. God is merciful. Even if they cry to Jesus, and Jesus showed this to me in the tribulation, these people were being chased by demons, and they were calling unto the Lord, crying out to the Lord. And I saw Jesus in the cloud sending his angels, giving them order to hold back the demon from killing them. My goodness, that this gives me joy. When I saw Jesus doing this, the angel was coming down. Human could not stop the demon. The angel came down, and when the demon saw the angel coming down, they tried to fight them, but the angels were too powerful. They, everything they used under the power of God, under the power of Jesus. There's no way a demon can, can try to go through them. And the angel went and took care of business, brothers and sisters. Praise the Lord for his angel. Praise God. And I tell you, those people finally can now relax and free and walk under the protection of the Lord. Why? Because anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus is willing to save anyone, but the problem is people don't call upon his name. They love to call the pastor. They love to call the leader. They love to call the church. They like to go on the yellow page looking for the phone numbers of the church. And then when people disappoint them, they say, oh, no one is willing to help. No one. Call to Jesus. Forget about men. Stop looking for phone numbers of men. Hallelujah. Look for Jesus. Look for the Son of God. Stop looking for churches, looking for men. Looking for churches' numbers on the yellow pages. Stop the nonsense. Stop looking for men. Look for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He will help you. Thank you, Lord. He will help you. He will be there for you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He will not abandon you. Often men can do this. Men can fail you. Men can abandon you. Men can get tired of you. Often not Jesus. Praise you, Lord. I will be with you all the day of my life, you said. He is so merciful. He is so merciful. I feel sad when people are looking for men's help. I feel so sad for them. So sad because I know it's a waste of time. Look for the help of Jesus. Learn to call upon the name of the Lord. Learn, learn. Especially if, if you end up staying in the tribulation, learn to call upon the name of the Lord. 
For those, says, says, says Peter, in the book of Acts chapter 2, in those days, after the moon become blood in those days, in that great day of the banging of the Lord, those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be safe. No matter if you're in the worst part of the tribulation, you look up to heaven and you say, Jesus, help me. Lord, deliver me. No matter the devil himself walking around chasing you. You call upon the name of Jesus. You say, Lord, Son of God, Messiah Jesus, help me. Deliver me from my enemy. Watch how the devil will stop immediately. Oh, nervous. What's going on here? I better get out of here. I better run out of here. Praise you. You call upon the name of the Lord, and I shall be saved. He will deliver you out of the word. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Stop running to men. Stop running to people for help. Call upon the name of the Lord. I feel so tired. Even when people email me for help, I said, call upon Jesus. Stop calling upon men. I'm a man like you. I need God myself. We all need God. We all need Jesus. Learn to call upon Jesus. Hallelujah. People that don't know how to pray, don't learn how to pray. Learn to pray. Learn to call upon Jesus. And watch he will help you. He will help you and change your life. Thank you, Lord. Give you the proper help. A man can advise you. It may even lead you to Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. But if you if you put all your hope on that man, you can be sure he's going to let you down, even though he's a man of God, because we still make mistakes. We're still in this body. I'm in this body. Everybody else is in this body. We still sin in this body. Thank you, Lord. That's why you cannot put your, man, your eyes on men. Put your eyes on Jesus. Call upon the name of the Lord. No matter what you're going through. Thank you, Jesus. I praise God because the Lord has taught me so much in regard to my relationship with him. If, I, if I'm not doing fine financially, I call upon Jesus. Lord, I'm running short, Lord. I need your help, Lord. The Lord has taught me to do this. I had my own office job back in Massachusetts four years ago when Jesus called me to work for him and said, I will pay you better than men. Because I said to the Lord, Lord, you know, I got this job, Lord. I support my family. I pay my bills and all that. And the Lord said to leave my job and, and work for him, that he will take care of me better than me. And I, I, have, I, I had a difficult time letting go, trusting the Lord completely. It's hard. We're in this body, brothers and sisters. But the Lord spoke to me. I kept asking. I kept praying. I kept seeking the Lord. I will come for work 1130 at night, 1140 at night to come to my house. Say hi to my wife before she went to sleep. My son was already asleep to go to school. And I will get there on my knees near the bed to pray. Because the Lord said, I want you to pray at least an hour with me. And I got there tired from work and pray and pray and pray. It was so hard, brothers and sisters. I didn't want to work for men no more. I just wanted to work for the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord says, I'll pay you better than men. Thank you, Jesus. And he has. He has been taking care of me and my family because he's faithful. It's so difficult, brothers and people don't understand. We all struggle one way or another. 
and it has to be Jesus that help us. The Lord did not teach me to trust on him. If I was just trusting on man, or even on my own strength, or my own knowledge, brothers and sisters, all these souls have been saved, probably have not been saved. The Lord would have used someone else to save them anyway. Because God is not limited by man. A lot of people think so. God is not limited by man. Thank you, Lord, said yes. God is not limited by man. A lot of people think so. We hear a lot of people preaching. Oh, if you had not done this, those people would have not been saved. Nonsense and foolishness. Nonsense and foolishness. God can use anyone he wants to save anyone he wants. Then he use a mule to speak to the prophet. Thank you, Lord. God is not limited by name. A lot of people think so. It is up to us to get in obedience with God. And God will use us for his glory. Because that's why he chosen us and he will love to use us. But if we hesitate, we say no, we walk away from God, God will raise someone else. And use them even more powerful than us. Huh. God is not limited by men. A lot of people think so. That's a lie. But let no one believe. The lead you must lead you. The Savior must lead you. God is not limited by men. God can do anything. Jesus can do anything. Did he himself appear to Moses? Did he himself came to see Abraham, the father of faith? Oh, yeah, the angel came with him. Hallelujah. But where was the angel when he came to Moses? He came by himself to Moses and appeared to Moses. He didn't need no angel around him. Not even the Lord. The Lord needed need what? The Lord don't need anyone. He is God Almighty. He don't need anyone. He don't need anyone. If he has anyone with him, it's because it will please him. That's all. It will please him to have him. Thank you, Lord. It will please him to have him. That's it. Nothing else. Don't think of nothing else. God no need no protection. He's the Almighty. It is just because it pleases him to have his children around him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. He appeared to Moses, came to Abraham. The two angels left to Sodom and Gomorrah, and Jesus stayed there with him. If they would have been protecting Jesus, they would have to stay there. Because they were protecting him, you know? Oh, no, 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 no. They have orders from the Lord. They went down to, to Sodom and Gomorrah to get a lot of his family out, and Jesus stood there with the Lord, still talking to Abraham. If, if they had the Lord protection, they would have to be there all the time, every second. Where's the demon? We're watching out for the demon. Nonsense and foolishness of the enemy. God is not limited by anything. He's not limited by demons. He is not limited by anybody. Thank you, Lord. He allowed testing. He tests. He allowed temptation, which is different. Thank you, Lord. He, he says to, to Daniel that the prince of Persia opposed him, and he delayed it. Hallelujah. 21 days to show Daniel that when we pray, we have to wait upon the Lord. Thank you, Lord. He is not limited by anything. It was a teaching, a teaching. Praise the Lord. But you see that. Thank you, Lord. The angel left, and the Lord stayed there. No, no, no devil ever created can make the Lord run or can make the Lord do something else that he's not supposed to be doing. No way. He's not limited by demons. He's not limited by men. Ah, he's not limited by his creation. Not limited by his creation. Thank you, Lord. He's the creator. He made all heaven and earth. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. And so, praise the Lord. The Lord always stands there faithfully for his people. Verse 18, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring back from captivity Jacob's tents, and have mercy on his dwelling place, and the city should be built upon her own heaps, and the, and the place shall remain after the manner thereof. Oh, I love this. Thank you, Lord. Jacob's tent is Jacob. Um, let me let me make sure because I know Jacob's tent is Jacob's temple. The tent, Hallelujah! They had a tent for the Lord. Amen. In the wilderness, I remember they had a tent for the Lord in the wilderness. Thank you, Jesus. And so that tent will mean the temple. Let me just confirm that real quick. Thank you, Lord. Uh, yeah, it, it was a portable shelter made by clocks, supported by one more pole and stretched, tied by the cord, loop attached to the peg driven into the ground, the covering to the temple. It's referring to the third temple. He says, Thou said the Lord, verse 18, Behold, I will bring back from captivity Jacob 10. That's the temple, I believe it is there. And have mercy on the dwelling place, dwelling place they will dwell. And the city should be built upon her own gift, and the, and, the, and the pilot should remain after the matter thereof. Okay? So either this is more referring to what the Lord is going to do, thank you, Lord, in the millennium, because that, this is where I see this beauty, really in the millennium, but also the third temple is going to be built. But we also know it's also going to be destroyed. Tent, because I also saw a tent in heaven. Amen? And, and the tent must be more in regard to the uh, millennium. Thank you, Jesus. Because it says the palace shall remain after the manner they are. So after the tribulation, it will remain. Thank you, Lord. It will remain. Thank you, Lord. So there's a plan of God for the tent of Jacob to, to uh, he will bring back from captivity Jacob's tent. Amen. So it's captive somewhere. The tent is captive somewhere, is what God is saying to us. Uh, none of us know what the tent is, anyway. Okay, we don't know where it is. It was a tent, we know. A tent is made by, it's a portable shelter made by cloth. So it's a cloth that God says, from captivity, I'm bringing it back. I don't know who has it. There's a lot of speculation that a lot of the things Jacob had, Israel had, had been uh, in different parts of Africa. Um, in captivity, whole captive, whole by men, in a place. But a lot of people say those men were ordered by God to have them there. But see, God says it's in captivity. So Rome might, Rome might have the tent. Maybe Rome to have this tent because it says whole in captivity. Also, the enemy can have too. Captivity comes from the enemy. The enemy also can have it somewhere. And God says, he's bringing it back. I will bring back from captivity, Jacob said. You have mercy upon the dwelling places. And the city should be built upon her own heap. So this, this is the millennium. Yes, I see more of this as the millennium than the tribulation. So the prophet because began about the tribulation. That's why I consider it will also be in the in the tribulation by the end, middle end time. Amen. Verse 19. And out of them shall proceed hands giving and boys of them that make merry, and I will multiply them, and they should not, not be few. I will also glorify them, and they should not be small. Okay, so this is a millennium. This, this is only what's going to happen in the millennium, brothers and sisters. 
Amen. Because I've seen this in the future. And this is about the millennium. So the 10 that is in captivity will be brought back to the millennium. We will see that 10 in the millennium. Those that are coming down with Jesus. I mean, out of them, let's proceed 10 giving. This is going to be happening. I see this in the millennium. And the voice of them that make merry. Amen. So, amen. Those are those are rejoice. I will multiply them. That's true. That's happening in the millennium. They should not be few. So they're going to be great multitude again. And I will also glorify them. Praise God. Have a glorified body. They will have a glorified body. So this also talks about us. Because he will say that he will glorify them. In other words, they will be they will have glorified body. See, that's what glorify means, brothers and sisters. And they should be uh, no, they should not be small. So this is the bride in Israel included, brothers and sisters. What God is planning to do. Amen for that. Thank you, Jesus. Verse twenty. The children also should be at the at the former time. Their congregation should be established before me, and I will I will punish all that oppress them. So now, when they are established in the millennium, whoever oppresses them, God said he will punish. Amen. So make sure in the millennium you don't say nothing against Israel. Don't oppress Israel because God will punish you. God will punish you. Anyone that oppresses Israel in the millennium will be punished by God. And that happens instantly. It's not a judgment that you will have to wait upon before you see. It's happening quickly. In the millennium, things are going to happen so quickly. Because the earth is renewed, the heavens are renewed, everything is beautiful, pure air. I mean, the, the, the tree will give out the, the, the fruit right away. Next day, they have a fruit. You eat an apple. Next day, will be another apple in the same place you took the apple from. I mean, everything is blessed, brothers and sisters. So if anyone oppress Israel, I will punish all that oppress them, God says. Praise you, Lord. So this is why... I get concerned when I hear people criticizing Israel. Don't criticize Israel. Don't oppress them. Because God is going to punish people for that. Thank you, Lord. Verse 21. And their knowledge will be of themselves, and the governor shall proceed from the midst of them, and I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach unto me. For who is this that engages his heart to approach unto me, says the Lord? This is what God loves. God loves people that comes to him. That, hallelujah, set upon their heart to go up to seek the Lord. He says, who is this that engage, that wants to approach me, who engages his heart to approach me? Who is this who set his heart to approach me, who wants to from his heart approach me, says the Lord. This call for any, anyone, you and I, anyone that is listening. If you, if, you, if you set your heart to seek the Lord, you are going to find him. Seek, and thou shalt find, is the golden rule. Thank you, Lord. You seek the Lord. You engage your heart to seek him. You set your heart to seek him. You are going to find him. You're going to find him. And the Lord wants to be seeked by us. Thank you, Lord. He wants us to seek him. But it has to be a desire. No one needs to tell you to seek the Lord. It has to come out of your own heart. You must desire to want to, hallelujah, come to the Lord. And you are going to find him. Thank you, Lord. He will not reject anyone. And if you come to him, he will not reject you. He will receive you as a daughter or as a son. Thank you, Lord. 
Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen, sister. That is so true. Praise you, God. The Lord wants us to really engage in seeking Him. Verse 22. And you should be, and you should be my people, and I will be your God. When you desire from your heart, when you engage your heart to seek God, God said, You will be His people, and He will be our God. Oh, that is so awesome. We will be His people, and He will be our God. Isn't that great, brothers and sisters? That God wants us to seek Him. And it's for Him to be our God. It's for, it's, for, it's, for, it's for Him to make us His people. And for us to be His God. Oh, that is so awesome. What a great privilege, brothers and sisters, we are giving you. God has given us great privilege with Jesus Christ. But it's up to us to take it, to obey it, to approach it, to say, hey, this is my, I want it. I want to be His people. I want God to be my God. Praise you, Lord. What a wonderful God we serve. Verse 23. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goes forward with fury, a continual whirlwind, and shall fall with pain upon the head of the wicked. Boy, the wicked will not have a chance of the Lord. Uh, unless they repent, they will not have a chance. That's why repenting is a must. People play around with repentance. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. If we repent, we call upon the Lord, and the Lord will help us. But it has to be the Lord. Remember this. The fear and anger of the Lord should not return until he has done it, until he has performed it, the intent of his heart. Hallelujah. In the latter day, ye should consider. This is for the latter day. This is for the last day. That's what it means. Hallelujah. This is for the last day, brothers and sisters, that he's going to fulfill this. He's going to accomplish this. He's going to bring this to pass in the last day. Thank you, Jesus. Why? Because God knew that Jacob's trouble will be for the last day. It's all happening in the last day, brothers and sisters. Jacob's trouble. Thank you, Lord. Please pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Hallelujah. For the prosperity of Israel. And they don't take four years to be prosperous. But take men four years, thank the Lord, four hours or four days. Let's pray for God's timing of prosperity over Israel. That what will take them four years to become independent of the U.S. and the rest of the nation, the Lord will only do it maybe in four days. Thank you, Jesus. That the Lord will make it happen faster, a lot faster than they can. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, God, that he will prosper Jacob, his son, his servant, the apple of his eye. He will prosper them and will keep them safe, protected, and Jerusalem will never be divided. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus, that the word of God will be fulfilled and will come to pass as the Lord has promised. Thank you, Lord, for your word today, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your word, mighty Lord, mighty God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this word, this fresh word, Lord. I hope that this word has encouraged your people, Lord, to prepare for your coming, to be ready for the rise. So, Lord, help us, Jesus, in our struggle, Lord. Help us in our struggle, Lord Jesus. You know we struggle, Lord. We need your help, Jesus. Lord, keep us from the world and the things of the world, Lord Jesus. Protect us, Lord Jesus. Protect Israel, Lord. Bless Israel. Bring peace over Jerusalem. 
and the prosperity of Israel that will take for year will only take you, Lord, for a day or for hours. But you will bring it to pass in Jesus' name. We pray the Lord, oh God. Bless each and one of my brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, here's the latest prophecy for today. Thank you, Jesus. For today's prophecy update, I'm going to do a recap of what took place this last week and then provide an analysis of the prophetic implications of everything that took place this last week. In so doing, I hope to provide a clear biblical understanding prophetically in what is arguably a very confusing geopolitical landscape globally. It's really getting hard to know what to believe anymore. Uh, There is so much by way of misinformation that it's getting more and more difficult to really sift through all of it. And sadly, most of the news media reports are laced with what I'll call a demonic dishonesty, which is why we as Christians must know the Word of God and the God of the Word. I I know I've talked about this in recent updates. I don't think it's possible to overstate the importance of this, especially as we watch the world spiral out of control in this, the very last hour of human history. If there was ever a time for Christians to know and understand what the Bible says will happen in the end, that time is now. We're living in a day and a time that is not forgiving of biblical ignorance. This because, absent knowing the Bible, and especially prophecy in the Bible, Christians can be deceived by all the lies that come from the father of lies, the devil himself. And as such, they will fall, all because they lacked the wisdom, the understanding, and the knowledge, which is what builds, establishes, and fills. And this is Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 through 5. This proverb has in the over 30 years I've been walking with Jesus Christ, been and had a profound impact on my life. It says, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man, verse 5, is strong, Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. It's been said that knowledge is just information, but wisdom is the application of that information. And I think you would agree that for us as Christians in these perilous times, 
as the world waxes more and more evil by the day, we need this wisdom. And we need understanding and knowledge. At our midweek Bible study last Thursday, we were in 1 Kings chapter 7 and 8. And <laughs> these are two very, very long chapters. And at first read, they are also very, very boring chapters. We have the measurements of the temple that Solomon constructed. And it's one of those places in God's Word where you have to ask yourself, why in the world do I need to know this? <laughs> well, one of the reasons is that in the midst of all the boring details about the construction of Solomon's temple, we uncovered a most valuable treasure we were introduced to a man who was filled with wisdom and understanding. Solomon hired him. He was from Tyre, Lebanon, my birthplace. He built two bronze pillars with two very interesting names. Kindly allow me to quickly read 1 Kings 7, verses 13, 14, and 21. Now, King Solomon sent and brought Huram from Tyre. He was the son of a widow from the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a bronze worker. He was filled with wisdom and understanding and skill in working with all kinds of bronze work. So he came to King Solomon and did all his work. Then, verse 21, he set up the pillars by the vestibule of the temple, he set up the pillar on the right and called its name Yachin. And he set up the pillar on the left and called its name Boaz. Well, we know that the name is the nature and it's the names of these two pillars that I want to draw your attention to because this is what the Israelites would see every single day. These massive Beautiful pillars named Yachin and Boaz. Yachin means he shall establish, and Boaz means in it is strength. Think about that. Here's where I'm going with this we are the temple, right? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is built up, established, and strengthened by the Spirit of God through the Word of God for the people of God. I'm going to make a statement, and I hope you'll hear it and receive it. I don't know how any Christian is going to be able to survive, let alone thrive, in the days that lie ahead, absent this. Absent this. I'll say it this way. It's our only hope. 
This is our only hope of standing strong and not faltering or falling in the days that lie ahead as we occupy until He comes, until that trumpet sounds. You have no hope. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but on the authority of God's word of truth, that is the truth. You need the truth. The strength of God's word. I'll take it a step further and suggest that not only will this strengthen us and establish us, but biblical wisdom, understanding, and knowledge will provide us that peace that surpasses human understanding that Paul talks about in Philippians 4. In the midst of all the turmoil in the world. Listen, candidly, were it not for my own understanding, being firmly rooted in God's Word, I would go insane whenever I read, and I just about can't read another, report that demon-possessed Muslims, who need Jesus, by the way, are crucifying and beheading Christians who refuse to renounce Jesus Christ. You'll forgive the graphic nature of what I'm about to say, but if I didn't know (laughs) the crown that awaits them, I would literally go insane every time I read about a Christian girl or boy being raped in front of their parents. That's the world we're living in. Now, we're sort of insulated here in Hawaii, right? In some ways, I I don't mean this to be disparaging, but we really have it good here. We're insulated and we're isolated. But in other parts of the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ are being tortured in unspeakable ways. Now why do I point that out? Because knowing what God's Word says, okay, why? It calms me, it centers me, it steadies me, and it readies me. For what's coming. Knowing what God's word says about what's happening in the world today will steady us and ready us until he comes for us. However much longer that might be. Well, that was just the introduction. (laughs) Um, 
I'll begin with the aforementioned recap of what happened just in the last week by kind of sharing a number of headlines. And if you'll just bear with me, I'll work through that and then provide an analysis of what I believe it means on the grand scheme of things eschatologically. We'll start with this one from the Times of Israel. Khamenei, Iran's supreme leader, quote, Iran will support anyone who strikes at Israel. Uh, that's a big job because there's a lot of um, countries that are, and people groups that are striking at Israel. How about this one? This is from the Jerusalem Post. Khamenei bans Iran from negotiations with U.S. And this is who we just made a deal with? This was breaking this last week. It was a Fox News exclusive. And I didn't have enough time to really research this, but it does seem that uh, the President of the United States broke his own law. His own law. I love it when that happens. <laughs> U.S. officials concluded the Iran deal violates federal law. Will anything come of this? Sadly, I don't believe anything will. There has been much in the way of lawlessness in the past seven years. The Times of Israel had a very disturbing article about the Hamas leader declaring another intifada in the West Bank. Uh, in Arabic, intifada means uprising or more literally shaking. It's also translated as resistance or rebellion. Uh, this would, by most um, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, be the third intifada. And um, this is really serious. Uh, it prompted this Jerusalem Post article quoting Benjamin Netanyahu, who said, we're in the midst of a wave of terror, and they are in the midst of a wave of an intifada. The last intifada was in the year 2000 and 2001 and in the early part of the last uh, decade when the uh, suicide bombers were blowing themselves up and killing many, many people in buses and in restaurants and in Jerusalem and all over. Uh, it's what uh, really prompted Israel to erect the uh, walls that now separate uh, the occupied territories <laughs> that the so-called Palestinians are occupying land belonging to Israel. I don't know if you have been watching this. Um, just this morning there were more attacks. What's happening is the Muslims are uh, killing the Jews uh, using knives and guns and they're just attacking them in the streets randomly. I found this uh, interesting Jewish press article on Thursday, and I want to share it with you. I think it'll uh, bless you as it did me. 
It's titled, A Week of Intifada Miracles in the State of Israel. Let me just share with you a couple of excerpts. A Palestinian Arab stabbed an IDF soldier, grabbed the soldier's rifle, and then escaped into a building. But the terrorist didn't get far. Not only was he spotted by police and shot dead, miraculously, he could not shoot anyone else with the gun that he stole because it was not loaded. <laughs> I love it when God does that. <laughs> The soldier had followed protocol to the letter and had left the ammunition magazine out of his weapon. It gets better. In the deadly Arab terror attack that left Rabbi Aitam Henkin and his wife Naama dead last Thursday, did you hear about this? In the car on the Samaria road between Itamar and Ilan More, they had four children that survived. Listen, contrary to the contentions of some who may not be familiar with the terrorist mentality, the Henkin children were not spared by the Palestinian Arabs due to strategic reasons. They were miraculously saved by friendly fire. The terrorists accidentally shot one another. I love it when God does that too. Believe you me, these demon-possessed Muslims are evil through and through. And they take great delight in killing children. And they certainly would have done that had God not intervened. Finally, a third miracle. In Patah Tikva, during Wednesday's terror attack, only one victim was stabbed by the Arab attacker. The terrorist was unable to stab more people because, miraculously, his knife broke. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of Psalm 121, verse 4. I think about this more so lately, for obvious reasons. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. God will keep Israel. God has a covenant with Israel. And he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. This Telegraph op-ed, I didn't get a chance to read this in, in its entirety. It's a very good read. It's titled, Why is the World Ignoring a Wave of Terror in Israel? This is from the Jerusalem Post. UN chief condemns recent killings of Palestinians without mention of Israeli terror victims. Do you know, uh, and if you do, you had to search it out, that rockets continue to rain down in Israel from Gaza and the West Bank only to be intercepted by the Iron Dome. Um, and whenever Israel launches a strike, which they did Saturday night Israel time, Saturday morning Hawaii time, they are condemned by the international community. They're the aggressors. 
this one from the Times of Israel. Jordan slams Israel for Palestinian deaths, urges world intervention. Wow. Israel wraps BBC for unethical terror attack headline. Israel is the occupier. Israel is the aggressor. Israel are launching the attacks on the innocent Palestinian victims. The Jerusalem Post published an analysis in which they concluded that Israel is one major terror attack away from Operation Defensive Shield 2. If you know anything about Operation Defensive Shield 1, that should tell you something. Perhaps the biggest news from this last week was this headline from Fox News. Potentially game-changing oil reserves discovered in Israel. Actually, that's a bit of an understatement given the size and the scope of this find. This is not the same find of natural gas off the coast of Haifa in the Mediterranean Sea. This is oil. And here's the thing, a couple of problems that are already coming out because of this, one of which is that this find is in the Golan Heights. Remember those of you who went with us to Israel? The Golan? Uh, Here's the problem. Syria lays claim to the Golan. And Israel heretofore has been forced, threatened by the United States of America, not to mention the entire international community, to make nice. Give him back a gun. You'll forgive my silly cynicism. Have you looked at a map of the promised land lately? Syria belongs to Israel. And oh, by the way, and we'll talk about this here in a moment, um, that's the whole reason that Russia and Iran are in Syria. Oh, and it's, by the way, the very reason that the Islamic State wants to set up a caliphate in that area they call the Levant, which just so happens to be almost exactly the same borders of the original promised land. We're talking the pre, 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 pre 1967 AD borders. (laughs) We're talking the original promised land that was given to Israel. Could it be that Russia and Iran already knew about this? And could it be that this is why they are in Syria? It's almost like there's a hook in their mouth that has brought their armies there. And not for the reasons that we're being told. Last but certainly not least is this headline from Breaking Israel News. 
Hasidic rabbi, War of Gog and Magog already began in Syria. I think you understand why I saved this headline for the last, but I think this is the question that's now being asked. Namely, are we witnessing the fulfillment of the Ezekiel 38 and 39 prophecy vis-a-vis Russia and Iran in Syria with the oil as the spoil in Israel? I suppose another question that should be asked and is being asked is, are we also witnessing the fulfillment of Isaiah 17, Psalm 83, and with it Zechariah 12 and 14, all of which have the same common denominator? Syria is the catalyst, Damascus becoming a ruinous heap, the surrounding people in Zechariah 12, all conspiring in Psalm 83 to wipe Israel off the map, the Levant, they won't even call it Israel, and to set up a caliphate. Is this why the Palestinians have called for an intifada? Is this why Hamas has called for an intifada? Is this why the violence and the attacks against Jews on the Temple Mount is happening? I realize that there are those who are reluctantly cautious to say that this is in fact the fulfilling of these prophecies. I read an article by a prophecy teacher who I have a great deal of respect for that is choosing, and I understand it, and I appreciate it. He's choosing to err on the side of an abundance of caution, and he's reluctant to say this is it. Personally, I'm finding it difficult to also say that. And I'll explain why. All that we now see taking place, chiefly in the Middle East, virtually fits perfectly, forming the perfect storm prophetically. And for me, it's a timing issue. It's a, if I can say it this way, a shelf life issue. There's an expiration date. Everything that is lined up today was not lined up several years ago, nor will it likely be lined up several years from now. It's that proverbial striking while the iron is hot. Now, is it possible that this is not it? And these prophecies are not being fulfilled at this time and will yet be fulfilled sometime in the future. Is that possible? Yes. Certainly, that is possible. However, here's why, personally, to me, while it may be possible, it's not probable. And I'll explain. Four reasons. These are the main four reasons I believe personally that this is it. 
Number one, if it's not it, then this massive oil discovery in Israel would, for whatever reason, need to somehow be rendered inconsequential. Either they can't get to it, or the price of oil is such that it's not feasible, economically advantageous, it would cost too much to get it. Certainly possible. I don't think it's probable. Especially given the fact that this is ten times larger than the largest oil find ever. Let me say that again. Ten times larger than the largest oil find ever. And don't think that Putin... You remember when, in 2008, Putin invaded Georgia? I'm not talking about Georgia in the United States. <laughs> invaded Georgia, you know why? Because that is the main line for natural gas throughout the region. It's all about the spoil. It's all about the natural gas. It's all about the oil. And if this is not it, then this massive oil discovery would somehow have to be taken off the table, if you will. Number two, Russia and Iran would need to pull out of Syria after giving Bashar al-Assad new life as they all return to the status quo. Now again, I <laughs> possible, certainly. Probable? I don't think so. You don't bring that much horsepower, so to speak. You don't bring that much military presence into Syria. And from some of the articles I've read, uh, they have brought new definition to shock and awe. They are shocking the world, and the world is in awe of this Russian military and their strikes in Syria. So, if this isn't it, then somehow this has to dissipate, right? Wouldn't you agree? And, and because once you set in motion this unstoppable momentum, I think you would have considerable difficulty pushing the pause button on that which is already seemingly on fast forward. Isn't it amazing how fast all of this happened? I mean, you know, it used to be, I'll tell you, doing these prophecy updates, just even two, three years ago, used to be a lot easier on me. <laughs> I used to get more sleep than I do now because there's just so much. I don't have to try to figure out what I'm going to talk about by way of a prophecy update. I have to try to figure out how I'm going to talk about everything within the amount of time <laughs> that we have uh, to talk about it. Here's the third reason. The Islamic State hell-bent, literally, on establishing a caliphate in the Promised Land, which, again, they call the Levant, would need to somehow be decisively defeated. 
I don't know how you do that. Oh, I thought Putin was going to. <laughs> Again, you'll forgive my silly cynicism, but no, no. Here's the fourth reason. Hamas, Hezbollah, Al-Qaeda, et al. would also need to be decisively defeated. Because they all have the common satanic goal of destroying Israel. So, again, if you have this unstoppable momentum then how do you reconcile that this is not it? Again, possible, sure. Probable, not so sure. And here's the other thing. So too with the Palestinians need to be rendered inconsequential at best or perhaps dormant at worst. Uprising? Maybe they've been dormant and maybe Mahmoud Abbas on the heels of Yasser Arafat has wanted to put a kinder face. Of course, any face would be a kinder face than Arafat's, but sorry. And maybe it was sort of dormant for a season, but I think when you really understand what this intifada is intended to accomplish, I think it'll change your perspective. It's for this reason that I am stressing the importance, paramount importance, of knowing and understanding God's Word. It's so that we're not easily shaken when we see everything that's happening in the world today. We know how it ends. And oh, by the way, spoiler alert again, we win. In the, this ends really good for Christians born again of the Spirit of God. This ends really good. And that's why it's exciting. But if we don't know the Word of God, then it can be terrifying. And we can be easily shaken. Psalm 62 verse 6 says, Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. In Him is strength. He shall establish Boaz, Yahim. Doesn't move me. Doesn't shake me. Doesn't faze me. I'm going to bring the update to a close by simply saying that we would all do well to know both what we believe and why we believe what we believe. More specifically, as it relates to the doctrine of imminence. What do you mean? Well, it's kind of been heartbreaking for me as I read, again, so much material throughout the week and 
many Christians have been, and I knew this was going to happen, and I warned about it in August, that if we're here in October, there's going to be a lot of Christians that are going to be really disappointed and discouraged and even devastated, and that has happened. I don't know if there's anything I could have done differently. When you understand the doctrine of imminence, that the rapture can happen at any time, and that the rapture has to happen before the seven-year tribulation, you're unmovable. You will not be shaken. You will not be alarmed. You will not be uncertain. You will be strong and established because you know. If we're uncertain, wishy-washy, back and forth, then like Paul said in his second epistle to the Thessalonian church, chapter 2, verse 2, we too can become easily unsettled or alarmed by everything that's happening. We need to know what we believe and we need to know why we believe what we believe if we have and want to have any hope in the days that lie ahead. And this is why it is, lastly, that every Sunday, every week, sometimes midweek too, (laughs) when stuff happens and stuff happens, we do this. I really believe with all my heart that our redemption draws nigh. And like Paul would say to the Thessalonians, encourage one another with these words. You be encouraged. The Lord's coming. (laughs) And Jesus himself said, I come at an hour you expect not. You know what that means? (laughs) It could happen at any time. I love the word imminent. Because it's, it sounds like any minute. <laughs> yeah? I mean, how cool is that? Imminent. What's the, that sounds pretty fancy, like I went to seminary, right? The doctrine of imminence. Wow, preach it. Preach. And then it's just basically the sound doctrine, the truth that the rapture can happen at any minute. Any minute. It's imminent. Why don't you all stand? We'll pray. Lord, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for the more sure word of prophecy. Thank you for your word telling us what's going to happen before it happens, so when it happens. We will believe. Lord, you have told us exactly what's going to happen at the time of the end, and we believe it's happening. So, Lord, we do believe, and we do look up and lift up our heads, knowing our redemption draws nigh. But Lord, there are those, perhaps here in this wonderful church today, or watching this by some other way, 
that don't. Lord, I pray that today you have spoken very clearly into their hearts and opened up their eyes to this truth of your soon return. And Lord, I pray the result of that will be that they would open up their hearts to you, call upon you, confessing with their mouths and believing in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, I pray that that would take place today and that today would be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, let's get into the Word of God. On Sunday mornings, we're going through 1 Corinthians, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today, our text will be chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. I'll have you turn there at this time, and if you're able, I'll ask you to stand. You can follow along as I read. If not, that's all right. Beginning in verse 13, pardon me, the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, writes, Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does, verse 14, not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But, verse 15, that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for long hair is given to her as a covering. If, verse 16, anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, or better rendered in some of your translations, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Let's pray, if you would join with me. Loving Heavenly Father, we're with great anticipation looking forward to that which you have for us this morning in your word. We're looking to you to speak clearly into our lives through your word. And Lord, when you do, we want to have ears that don't merely hear, but heed that which you minister to us today. So Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Today's teaching is part four of a series I've titled, Why God's Ordained Authority is So Important. I have a confession to make, and I think I alluded to it uh, prior, actually at the beginning of the series, that uh, this is a very difficult chapter, (laughs) and I really have not been looking forward to teaching through uh, chapter 11. It's just a really gnarly chapter in God's Word. And what I'm finding is is that as we've navigated our way through it, we're halfway through it, I'm finding that the truths that are woven into the fabric of this chapter are invaluable. Uh, This is a word fitly spoken. 
One of the gauges by which I measure a teaching out of a particular chapter in God's Word are the comments that we get from those who uh, follow us online. And I've had some very interesting uh, comments, especially concerning the man's authority over the woman, as you might imagine. <laughs> Not to mention the fact that we've had numerous comments about the length of hair. Um, please know that uh, this has nothing to do with hair. We'll talk about that more in a moment. Uh, believe you me, if I still had hair, I would let it grow out just because I have it to grow out. <laughs> but one of the reasons that this chapter has provided us with a much-needed reminder of how important God's structure of authority really is. It's important in a church. It's important in the home. It's important in the workplace, in day-to-day -day lives. This ordained structure of authority, as it were, is in the context of our text today supremely related to the church, but it does apply to every arena of life. The fact of the matter is, God has set in place by divine design an ordained order. And when we go against that uh, and we're out of order, that's when the problems begin. And really this explains why the Corinthians were having so many problems in their church. They were going against this order and they were violating this principle. And more specifically, it was that the women were rebelling against man's authority by deliberately refusing to wear a head covering in church. This was certainly their liberty. They were free in Christ to not cover their heads, but they were doing so deliberately and even rebelliously. And as such, Paul addresses this issue by explaining to them how important it is to submit oneself to the authority that God has placed over them. Enter our fourth and final reason that God's ordained authority is so important. It's this. The very nature of things proves it. The very nature of it teaches us that this is God's structure of authority. In verse 13, Paul tells them to judge this for themselves. And then he asks rhetorically, is it proper for a woman to pray to God while her head is uncovered? And then in verses 14 and 15, he asks, doesn't the very nature of things teach that it's a disgrace for a man to have long hair, but that it's for a woman her glory? And then in verse 16, very interesting, he says, if anyone wants to be contentious about this, neither he nor the churches of God wish to get into an argument concerning this matter. Hang on to that. I want to come back to that here shortly. Once again, though, I need to preface 
this teaching by emphasizing that the matter of hair length on a man does not have the application to us in our culture today as it did in that day. In both the Jewish and Greek cultures of that day, long hair on a man was seen as a shameful sign of femininity. And that was the why behind the what, if you will. I think we do err greatly, especially as pastors. We're the ones that are the most guilty of this when we force our prejudice onto the text so it says what we want it to say or what we think it should say. And this has manifested itself in a myriad of ways over time. Uh, It wasn't that long ago that many a pastor would talk about women not wearing makeup. And I don't know why in the world I went there. It's not in my notes, but let's just move on (laughs) here. But no, seriously, this was a big issue. And it created a uh, a lot of problems. The Bible doesn't say, ladies, that you can't wear makeup. But it does say to be modest in the way that you dress, that your outward beauty should be really matched by your inward beauty as well. But, of course, pastors are really the ones that are notorious for doing this. And this is one of those passages that many a preacher has taken license with. It's been said that it's better for preachers to be concerned about the length of their sermons (laughs) instead of the length of people's hair. Yeah, this doesn't apply to me. This was a theoretic (laughs) quote. (laughs) The point that Paul is trying to get across here is that the very nature of things, in fact, proves God's order of authority. In other words, naturally, a woman's hair is longer than a man's. And that's the evidence of the woman's long hair being her natural covering, if you will. I suppose Paul is referring to the long hair of the woman as nature's veil of sorts, in the sense that it's just the natural order of things. But, and there is a but here, (laughs) there's a bigger issue that's at hand. Perhaps you'll indulge me for the remainder of the teaching as we refocus our attention on what I see as the bigger issue that Paul is wanting to address. It's in verse 16. Paul is saying that if anyone wants to be contentious about this issue, they need to stop. And here's why. This can be potentially very divisive. To me, it seems to indicate that the matter of women covering their head in church had become a source of legalistic contention. One commentator of this wrote, Paul is saying, if this discussion concerning head covering causes problems or division, it's not worth becoming legalistic. The key to good theology is to note how many times a particular subject is dealt with in Scripture, as opposed to subjects like the finished work of the cross, 
and the importance of love. This is the only time the subject of head covering is seen in all of Scripture. Thank God. There's not another chapter like this that we have to work our way through. But this is the only time the subject of head covering is seen in all of Scripture and thus should be given proportionate attention. Now keep in mind that from chapter 7 on through the remainder of the first epistle to the Corinthian church, Paul is answering questions that they wrote him asking. And so this was obviously one of those questions in a long list of questions that Paul is going to address for them because it's something they brought to his attention. Paul, we're having problems. And one of the problems in the church is that the women are refusing to wear head coverings. And what Paul is saying here is, um, yes, that's an issue, but this is the bigger issue. It's causing division. It's causing discord. It's causing these disputes. And that's the bigger problem. If you were to ask me what I thought was the most destructive dynamic in a church, it would have to be that of sowing discord in a church. It's been my own personal experience, unfortunately. (laughs) I've experienced it over the years on the mainland. Of course, all of my examples, especially when it comes to this, (laughs) are from the mainland. But the division that always ensues from the discord can actually supersede the issue that started the problem in the first place. Maybe a better way to say that is something as minor as this has the propensity to create a bigger problem. And that creating of the bigger problem can in fact be more destructive and damaging than the initial issue could have ever been in and of itself. And such was the case with the Corinthian church. Such that the discord and division over the woman's head covering had become a much bigger problem than the head covering itself. This is a matter that could have been resolved, a crisis within the church that could have been resolved and settled easily. However, by virtue of verse 16 in our text, it would seem to indicate that this had gone to the level of becoming divisive. It was Winston Churchill who famously said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Now, you probably didn't know that he said that. And there's a good reason why you didn't know that he is the one who said that. Uh, This saying has been hijacked. Uh, That's a terrible word for an Arab to use, but I just use it. There it is. While Churchill's intentions were noble, this quote has been exported and I'll say even distorted for evil purposes, especially when it comes to the devil's devices. The Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church said, let's not be ignorant. Don't be ignorant of the schemes, the wiles, the devices of the devil. By that I mean 
the devil will never let a crisis in the church, as small as it may be, go to waste. Why? Because he can turn it into a device to dismantle and ultimately destroy a church. We were just talking about this before first service, that the enemy, the powers of darkness, the forces of wickedness, take notice and are aroused whenever there's an opportunity to get into a church body, into a ministry, into the body of Christ, and create discord and division. Satan hates the church, and he will stop at nothing and do everything that he possibly can to destroy a church. And this is why I believe we have Proverbs like chapter 6, verses 12 through 19. It says, A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly, he shall be broken without remedy. Now, verse 16, very interesting. These six things the Lord hates. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. In other words, and we're going to see this list of six things, but particularly the seventh, not only does God hate it, but it's an abomination to him. Verse 17, here's the list. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil. Verse 19, a false witness who speaks lies, and here's the seventh, and one who sows discord among brethren. Think about this. That is an abomination to God. Now, this begs a question. Could it be that this is the reason why the sowing of discord among the brethren is such an abomination to God? Think about when Paul mentioned to the women in the Corinthian church, cover your heads because the angels are watching. And at first read, you're having a hard time trying to understand what does he mean by that. Well, as it turns out, the angels are present in a worship service where two or more are gathered and assembled in his name. They're watching the church service, and they're hypersensitive when it comes to deliberately rebelling against authority. Why? Because they were there 
when Lucifer did that. And they saw the destruction and, might I add, the division that ensued because of it. They take it very seriously. They know of the potential destruction, women, and this is why. This is why. Oh, it's no big deal. Yes, it is a big deal. And here's why it's a big deal. And this is why the sowing of discord is a big deal. And this is why the sowing of discord is an abomination because of the potential that it has to destroy a church. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I've been on the receiving end of it. And it's the most painful thing you will ever experience in your life. And I thank God, and I know that you know this, but I thank God every day for this church that is my privilege to pastor. This has not been named amongst us. We have not experienced this, and I pray to God, I beg God, that this would never happen in this church. Because I've seen the lives that are destroyed. I've seen the marriages that are destroyed. I see the teenagers who watched this play out want nothing to do with God, the church of God, the people of God, the things of God. And if that doesn't break your heart, I don't know what does. The only thing in my own life personally, in all the years that I've been walking with the Lord, that was more painful than going through a church split was the death of my own daughter. And I'll tell you, a church split was not in a distant second in terms of how painful it was. You see what happens to people, even the adults. They walk away from the Lord. They want nothing to do with the Lord. I had one person tell me that their secular employment they were treated better than they were in the church with God's people. I hate to say it, but <laughs> we cooperate with the devil. And all he has to do is kick back in his recliner so to speak, as we do his job for him. And Satan can fill the heart of a Christian and use that Christian to do his dirty work, as it were. I don't know if it's possible to overstate the importance of a healthy church. You know, cancer is when the cells in the body start attacking each other. That's cancer, right? How much more so when the body of Christ starts attacking each other? 
You know, I read a lot of articles during the course of the day, chiefly for the prophecy update. And what comes packaged with all of that reading is you (laughs) read the so-called experts attacking the other so-called experts. You know what I call it? And you'll forgive me. It's Christian cannibalism. It's Christian cannibalism. We're biting and devouring each other. And does not the Apostle Paul write concerning this? The biting and the devouring of each other? Wouldn't you agree? (laughs) I'm just going to share my heart just for a minute, if you would just bear with me. Wouldn't you agree that the last thing we need is to be at odds or in conflict with our brothers and sisters in Christ? I mean, don't we get it enough from the world? Don't we get it enough from the devil? Don't we get it enough from the flesh? We, we don't need any more and isn't it more painful when it comes by way of another brother or sister in Christ I remember sharing with my staff again on the mainland that it would have been easier were the attacks not coming from non-Christians. Because, of course, you can expect it from someone who is not born again of the Spirit of God. But when it's your brother or sister in Christ, it's it's infinitely more painful. Again, this is why, to me, the sowing of discord is an abomination. And this is why it is to me that the Apostle Paul sort of turns a corner and says, you know, church, the bigger issue here is not the women not covering their heads. The bigger issue here is the contention, the conflict, the division in your church. Don't cooperate with the devil. And don't let the devil destroy this church. The Apostle Paul spent a year and a half pouring himself out, broken bread, poured out wine for this church. Many of these Corinthians, I believe Paul personally brought and led to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm of the belief that Paul loved this church so much If he didn't, I don't think that we would have 1st and 2nd Corinthians in our Bibles. And certainly when we get to the famous chapter, the love chapter, we're going to see that. I think to me, it explains why Paul would go to such lengths to communicate to this church 
You need to love one another. You think you're a loving church. You're not a loving church. That's not what love is. Love is this. Hence the famous love chapter. You know, Satan knows the Bible better than we do. Right? And he's um, particularly aware of the verse that says they will know we are his disciples by our love one for another. Think this through with me. If the world will know that we are disciples of Jesus by our love one for another, then conversely, wouldn't the world also know that we're not disciples of Jesus by our devouring of one another. If that's the litmus test by which we are seen and known as Jesus' disciples, wow, what an indictment. And, and let me just take it one step further. Think about this. What's the number one answer you hear from somebody when you bring up the things of the Lord, when you try to share the gospel? Oh, the church is filled with hypocrites. They're right. They're right. Now, I do, by the way, have a response that I think that is a good answer to give and it goes something like this yes the church is filled with hypocrites because we're all sinners it's not a showroom for saints it's a hospital for sinners that's what the church is so you'll fit right in <laughs> anyway no I don't uh, usually say it like that but <laughs> but here's what I do ask them is that going to be your excuse when you're standing before God as to the reason why you rejected Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because if it is, I just want to let you know, <laughs> spoiler alert, it won't work. It won't work. You will give an account for yourself, not for the hypocrisy of others. And of course, they just, you know, throw themselves down on the ground. What must I do to get saved? No, they don't. <laughs> I wish they did. <laughs> Let me close this way. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about why the communion table is so important. And... Again, it's another indication that this was yet another source of conflict, so much so that it even resulted in some deaths in the Corinthian church. Do you think that was a pretty serious issue? For those of you who read ahead to stay ahead, this is what we're going to be... In other words, chapter 11 is not getting any easier. <laughs> so 
You have to come back next week now that I said that, because if you don't, we'll know. That's why you didn't come, so you have to come. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And the truth will set us free and free us from the enemy's trap. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for protecting this church. Lord, will you please continue to protect this precious church we call Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's another event that you probably want to take into consideration for the last three months of 2015 as well. Senior Israeli officials and Western diplomats have said that the French government intends to advance a resolution before the United Nations Security Council on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict with a focus on settlements in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. The resolution seeks to define the parameters for a two-state solution and a timeline for an Israeli withdrawal from the West Bank. Now, there is some information that's circling around, uh, circulating around that this will ultimately be the original peace agreement that uh, the Antichrist will ultimately uh, confirm and make strong. In other words, they will put this into effect but somehow it will um, go awry and then the Antichrist will rise up. So what they're trying to say is that you're probably going to see the seven-year seven uh, peace accord happen first. Then the rapture will take place and then the Antichrist will rise and make this uh, peace accord. Uh, he will confirm it and make it strong. Now, as I said before, I don't necessarily believe that's going to be the case, but uh, I don't discount it either. If that's what you believe, then... Uh, that's fine. It's not biblical. It's more of a play on words than anything else, meaning that they're using the words confirmed and make strong to build their case that this could very well be the scenario that ultimately comes to pass. Well, in fact, you know, that's fine. I've done that many times myself, so I don't doubt that could be a possibility. But if you're trying to say it's biblical, it's not. But it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. But I think the key that uh, will drive this particular French resolution will be whether or not the U.S. actually will go along with it and will not use their veto power to protect Israel. You know, the uh, uh, news reports have indicated that uh, the U.S. has threatened Israel that they will not use their veto power to stop this resolution and have used it as somewhat of a threat. And so far, everyone involved has denied that it's true, but the bottom line is, is that that's the way politics roll a lot of times. They'll send out a leak or an unconfirmed report, and when confronted with it, many times they will deny it. And certainly that is for what, that is for what, what the public is to hear. But the truth of the matter is it could very well be true. Now this is something that I definitely would be keeping my eye on over the next three months of uh, the remaining 2015. And going on with the article, it says, <clears throat> excuse me, some 11 days ago, French uh, Foreign Minister Laurent Fabius t uh, hinted uh, during a meeting in New York of the foreign ministers of the Middle East Quartet countries that France 
would still go through with the resolution that has caused a diplomatic rift between Paris and Jerusalem. Now, what was intended to be a meeting of foreign ministers from the quartet and a select few from Middle East uh, countries turned into a conference of 30 foreign ministers from around the world, uh, Harzat uh, reported. The ministers discussed the Israeli-Palestinian conflict without a single Israeli or Palestinian representative. And it's said also being reported that uh, Fabius also uh, exerted a tremendous amount of pressure upon U.S. and European Union officials to get on board with this uh, resolution. Now, during this meeting, Fabius presented a French diplomatic plan with steps that he said would break the deadlock in the peace process. And, of course, along with talking about this particular uh, resolution, uh, they also talked about the labeling of any goods that come out of West Bank settlements. Uh, and it says, in April, France and 15 other European Union countries urged the bloc to clearly label products sold in member countries that originated in Israel, uh, Israel Israeli settlements in the Palestinian territories and annexed East Jerusalem and the Golan Heights, all occupied by Israel in 1967 during the Six-Day War. So as I mentioned yesterday in my report, uh, these are two major prophetic events that are starting to converge, and I believe that in time that you're going to see, if not a partial fulfillment, but a full fulfillment in the coming months, and uh, it may lead into years, but it's probably more like months. But I'm certainly not setting dates or anything of that nature. I don't know when uh, what, the, what the timing of the Lord is. On situations like this, I only point out what possibly could be the case and how it relates in Scripture in Bible prophecy. It certainly would not be the first time that I felt that we were only months away from something major taking place that could possibly spark the rapture of the church. So we need to be very careful in determining what we think a timeline is or could be regarding the rapture. And if you don't know the Lord, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Uh, the Bible says that it's appointed on the man once to die, then the judgment. Uh, you know, 150,000 people die every single day. The Bible says that the vast majority of them will end up in a burning hell. Don't let that happen to you. Come to the, to come to the Lord as Savior today. And secondly, I was uh, looking at some of the comments that were on one of my videos, and someone had indicated they had bought uh, one of my Tribulation Period Survival Guides for one of their lost loved ones for as a Christmas present. Now, that's a very good idea. And she had also indicated that they actually read the book. Well, I created my uh, Tribulation Spirit Survival Guide as a free version and also as a paperback version for those who want to give these books away to their lost loved ones to prepare them for what is to come. You know, you can either leave their fate in the hands of the world who will uh, ultimately force them to take the mark of the beast or you can uh, put the put the fate of their hands in what the Word of God says uh, in the in the form of this book. Now I'm certainly not trying to tell you that this book uh, takes the place of the Word of God, but I will tell you that it will give them a clear direction in how to understand the Word of God and how and what direction the the world of Bible prophecy will take once the rapture of the church takes place. And you know the first thing it tells them to do is that they must be born again. That is the first requirement of my tribulation period survival guide. And you know, if you give them this book now, it's very possible they may see their need for Christ and they may come to the Lord beforehand. So I recommend that you pick up a copy of this, give it to them as a Christmas gift or whatever the case may be, a birthday, and let the Lord work in their lives. Well, this is Terry Malone with the Calvary Prophecy Report. 
Hello. Welcome. Welcome to my world where it's naturally supernatural. My guest got a download from heaven and publicly proclaimed a year before Pope Benedict resigned that he would resign what year and what month. The Vatican wanted to find out how he knew such facts. God told him. Well, now God has given him another download on what is shortly going to happen in the Middle East. Anyone interested? Well, I, I had Tom Horn and Chris Putnam here, and they, they shocked, shocked the world in their revelations uh, on the Pope. Uh, Chris is the scholar on the team. Mm -hmm. You're a guy that has downloads from heaven. Uh, 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 you were former, or you currently an Assembly of God uh, pastor. But tell me about this most recent project. And you, you, you said to me over the telephone, "It's my <laughs> it's fault. It's your fault. I, I'm a nice Jewish guy. What are you, what are you doing this to me?" Boy? It is absolutely your fault because we were on your program, and on the program, the question came up, you know, about why would the Apache tribe have joined, you know, uh, the environmentalists in Arizona to sue uh, the Vatican to try to stop them in federal court from being on that mountain? Well, I had assumed it's because they were there ahead of everybody else, right? So their forefathers and foremothers lived on the mountain, died on the mountain, so it's kind of like a graveyard, and they didn't want a bunch of heavy equipment in there. Well, I said that on your show. Right. Then the show broadcasts, and there's an Apache a member of the nation out there watching the show, and he emails me, and he wants me to know that what I had said was okay, it's true enough, but he said, that's not the point. You've missed the big picture. And I said, what's the big picture? And he said, well, Mount Graham is one of the four holiest mountains in all of the world for all indigenous people, and that's why we didn't want them up there, because it is uh, what you or I would call a stargate, a doorway, a portal, a strategic uh, geographic location through which entities have entered into and exited our three-dimensional reality since the dawn of time. Well, you know, when he told me that, Sid, my, the conspiracy meter in my head went into the Richter scale now about why the Vatican would have been willing to fight in federal court to be on that mountain. Why not just go to another mountain, right? So they really believe, as a matter of fact, Chris, uh, you've been on the path of what you call the immortals, investigating with Tom for over two years. Uh, what, first of all, what, what's an immortal? Well, Sid, you know, immortal is just a word that means exempt from death. You don't die. You know, it's just a very simple term. But, you know, when I look in the, in the Bible, in the scriptures, it says that God created all these other beings other than humans. Well, in Psalm 148, it says that he created the malach and the sabah, Hebrew words that mean usually angels and hosts is the way it gets translated. It's also a military term, but it says he created them to live forever and ever. So they're immortal. So they're not eternal like God the creator. Mm -hmm. He has no beginning. He's always been. They have they a beginning. They were created. But they're created, but they're not designed to die. So there's a whole host of divine beings who aren't necessarily angels. Angel is a word that means messenger. And let me see those in the Gospels. We see them in Daniel. They come and they give a message from God to humans. But there's a whole class of these that aren't messengers. Uh, there's seraphim, the cherubim, the watchers. Oh, okay. What is a portal? 
A portal, you know, that's just a word that means a doorway, an entrance or gate and, and in a really simple sense. But what we're talking about is a gateway between realms. And like in the Bible, we, we see Paul talk about the first heaven, the second heaven, the third heaven, things like that. So we get the idea that there are like parallel realms, the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. Right. And so there's these other dimensions, perhaps, as a way to say it. So we're looking at entrances and, and ways that beings translate between these realms. Yeah, Tom, is, does the Bible talk about yeah. portals? Oh, and that was the thing that was really important to us. You know, so the Apache believe that this mountain is a doorway, a gateway. Uh, the New Agers have a lot of those kind of beliefs. But what we needed to know was, is there any biblical precedent for this idea that there could be strategic locations on earth where there are gateways, where there are doorways? And the funny thing, said is once we actually started going down that road, we were amazed at how much of this is in the Bible. You go into the Old Testament, it's through the Old Testament, Genesis 28, you know, Jacob has a revelation, he sees a, a, ladder. a ladder, but what a lot of people miss in that, uh, in that scripture is he says there is a gate here. Most people say that he said this is the house of God. That's not what he says. Read it. He says there is a gateway here that opens to the house of God. So a doorway, a portal. Then you come into the New Testament. Does that theme continue? Here's Jesus saying, from henceforth, you will see the windows of heaven open and angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. But, so, but it's not just angels, other entities other ascend entities. and descend. Now, you, you spoke with an, uh, a, a Navajo historian mm -hmm. of the oral history mm -hmm. of Native Americans. Uh, Tell me what revelation you got. Yeah, this was a very important thing. You know, white dudes like me never get a chance to sit down with a member of the Navajo Nation, especially not an academic and a guy who's written books that are used in their system, in their institutions. But we worked it out. Long story short, I wound up going to the four corners of the United States of America. We sat down in a traditional hogan. He's got the fire going. He's drawing in the dirt like the oral historian that he is. But, it, but I went there to ask him this question. What happened to the Anasaze, the pre-Pueblo Indians that built all the fantastic cliff dwellings uh, in the Four Corner area, who literally seemed to disappear overnight? So he starts telling, you know, the sanitized story. Well, they probably migrated, blah, blah, blah. And I raised some objections to that, and he looks right into the camera. We filmed him for three hours. He looks right in the camera, and he says, well... I shouldn't tell you this, but if you would have asked my great-grandfather, here's the story that he would have told. And he starts telling about a portal opening in very early uh, America and a fallen reptilian being. They actually draw pictures of this thing. It looks like a half-man, half-reptile. He comes through the portal. He starts teaching the Anasazi how to go into their kivas and to practice sorcery, pharmakia, how to open gateways and doorways to the underworld, while all of a sudden, the doorways start opening and giants emerge onto the surface of the earth. They draw that too in their petroglyphs that date back to a thousand years before Jesus walked on the earth of a doorway, the reptile, giant six-toed and six-fingered beings but wait, The through. Bible talks about people with six fingers. That's right. Toes. The Bible talks about giants. Uh, so they got that revelation about 
the same time that Moses got that? Actually, the what they were doing was writing down a record that was showing that this was a true worldwide event. So you had people on this side of the world that had no method for communicating with Moses, and at the same time, they're painting on their petroglyphs about these giants. And by the way, their story goes on because the giants started cannibalizing the Anasazi. They, they all start crying out to the great God of heaven who sends a flood that goes around the world and wipes out. So yeah, it is an absolute corruption from early American history written in stone around the same time that Moses was in the Middle East saying, and there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that. Yeah, yeah, Chris, you took a team and you went out to Sedona, Arizona to capture on video what was going on there. Why'd you pick Sedona? Well, if you look around on the Internet, do any research into this idea of interdimensional gateways and, and parallel worlds and things like that. You encounter lots of stuff about UFOs and aliens and all kinds of weird things. But one of the areas that pops up over and over again is Sedona, Arizona. And uh, you know why that might be is open to speculation, but it is just ubiquitous on the Internet as one of these areas. So I wanted to go there and see if I could actually document any of that. Well, he not only went there, he not only documented but he literally got on video and they could, everyone could see it with their naked eye. Out of this portal from the invisible world came a being that you're, you're actually, you know, can we show it in the next mm -hmm. segment? We'll, we'll show it to you. Be right back. This is so fascinating to me. Uh, Chris, what does science have to say about these portals, immortal beings coming from another dimension. Well, you know, it's a perfectly respectable idea within science now to believe in parallel worlds, parallel dimensions. Um, it's not even really controversial. Most scientists just accept it. Tell me what you caught on camera in Sedona, Arizona. Well, we got uh, video and photographs of what people call orbs, okay? Now, I initially was very skeptical about the whole orb phenomenon. I've seen, you know, people thinking that these are ghosts and, and things like that on the Internet. Uh, I've, I've seen photographs right. of these little circles. Uh-huh. So the way we did it is we set up a still photograph with, with the flash, the way people normally catch orbs, but at the same time have a video camera running from a different angle. Now, if it shows up on two different angles right. you know, in the same spot, it can't be a dust particle on the right. lens or, or any of those kind of things. Uh, we were kind of surprised that not only did we catch them on both cameras, but the professional photographer that I hired to come out there and video it saw it with his naked eye. He saw a ball of light flying toward him as he was filming. So not only did they show up on both cameras, and we literally saw them with, with our eyes. Okay, Tom, what does the Bible have to say in the last days uh, about portals and things like this. You know, and, and this is the other thing, and, and I've studied prophecy a great deal of my life and never thought of it before, and I'm actually now saying that this is actually the most overlooked aspect of end times prophecy, the role that the windows of heaven and the gates of the earth will play in the end times. For instance, if you read the book of Revelation chapter 9, you see angels that are bound under the great river Euphrates, and a time comes when the gates or whatever's holding them there opens and they come up out of the earth. Very powerful. In fact, they wipe out one 
one-third of rebellious humanity in the tribulation period. So we find out that the gateways of the earth, the earth is dynamic. It's a holding tank. Jesus tells story of the rich man and Lazarus going down into the belly of the earth, right? Jesus tells about Jonah, and he says, as he was in the belly of the earth, the Son of Man's going to go there too. Here's the good part, though. When Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection went down into the belly of the earth, when he came out, it says he brought with him the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Right. So not only are there gates, there's keys, and he's got the important ones. But, but here's the thing that I want to make clear to you. You need really godly discernment in the times and days that we're living in, because some of these passageways, uh, demonic entities will come into the earth. Some of these passageways, angels are going to be coming into the earth. I have seen portals that I know were God. And I have seen portals that I know were demonic. So there's an organization you've done a lot. You gentlemen have done a lot of uh, study on. It's called CERN. Yeah. What, what is CERN? Who's it made up? CERN is a large particle collider. Basically, it's in southeastern France. It's a 17-mile-long tunnel that's buried beneath the ground. And what they're doing there is they're accelerating protons at nearly well, the speed of light. How many countries are involved? Oh, 15, 20 countries of the Earth, something there's like a, that. And these are top scientists? These are top scientists okay. in the world. And, and actually, these are the most powerful scientific experiments that have ever been conducted on the face of the Earth. They're accelerating these particles at just beneath the speed of light, and they film what's going on. Now, why are they doing all this? Well, particle physicists, of course, want to know about the nature of creation, so they burst these particles into their subatomic pieces to try to understand what they're doing, but they're also looking for gravitons because they believe that those gravitons might be escaping into a parallel reality. Do they believe that they can actually create a passageway uh, to uh, what they think is heaven, they, which I know is the demonic realm. They not only believe it, Sergio Bertolucci, who is the science director at CERN, said it in a public uh, interview. He said, we are going to open a doorway at CERN, and he said, we may send something through it, or something may come through it back to us. But they totally believe in it. The, and one other final thing, by the way, is they're also looking for gluon, and this thrills me as a well, theologian. What is gluon? Gluon is, in a layman's term, essentially the overlaying of sound waves because particle physicists can't understand why we don't just fly apart, right? The actual matter that you're made out of, Sid, would disappear on the head of a pen. You're, most, you're almost entirely motion. Protons, neutrons, spinning electrons, your movement. That's all you are. They don't understand. There's no room for pride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They don't understand why you don't fly apart. Well, what is gluon? <laughs> gluon is the overlaying of sound waves. It's what holds everything together. It's basically Genesis chapter 1. And God spoke. Bara. God said, let there be. God emits sound waves and he calls forth into somethingness, out of nothingness, atomic constructs, and he makes the plants, he makes the animals. We don't need CERN. Yeah. All we need is the Bible. They're looking but, for the voice of God. Ha, well, let me tell you something. When we come back, these gentlemen knew the Pope was going to resign before the Vatican knew, before the world knew. They knew the year. They knew the month. Tom had a download from heaven. That's how he knew that. But Tom had a new download from heaven, never been revealed before about the Middle East. You must understand this. We'll be right back. Tom, Pope Francis, 
you told me he's very interested in in the supernatural. Mm -hmm. Tell me about it. Yeah, he absolutely is. In fact, we haven't had a pope in recent memory that has talked so much about the reality of the devil and talking about prophecy. He's more than twice highly recommended a book called The Lord of the World. This was written in the 1900s, and it's an apocalyptic vision of the end times that actually includes the role of the pope and the Vatican and what role they will play in the rise of the Antichrist. He knows what all Jesuits know, that he is pope number one. 112 in the prophecy of the popes, which is something that's been held in high esteem So he since knows forever. that he's supposed to be assassinated? My suspicion is that he may know that, because you know the prophecy of the popes says that Rome will be destroyed and all of that that we talked about once before, and he has said publicly, he has said, I'm, I don't think I'm going to be around very long, it might only be two or three years, 2016 will be his third year uh, in office. He even recently said, I would be willing to be assassinated, I just hope it doesn't hurt. This guy is talking like a guy who understands that he is playing a role in prophecy. You know, the, the Pope is coming to the United States. Yeah, next week. Next week. He's speaking before the United Nations. He's speaking before a joint session of the U.S. Congress. This sounds like a page out of a Left Behind yeah, novel he, or something. He's coming it? to the White House. Yeah. Okay, you had another download. Your track record is amazing on what God tells you. What did God reveal to you this time? Yeah. I've never before been willing to talk about this kind of stuff publicly because you need people that can believe, that operate in the supernatural, that understand the difference between fraud and real, and we don't have a whole lot around, so I've always just kind of stayed in my shell and shared it privately with people close to me. This time, we are preparing to make a prediction. Do it right now. It'll be the biggest one we've ever made before. Him and I are working on the 400 pages of it, but here it is in a nutshell, that the Islamic nation is going to use a weapon of mass destruction. This is all going to start happening within the next 48 months. But here's the thing. It's going to play out in ways people don't see. Tell me. In that when it happens, Pope Francis is going to call for the revitalization of the Christian rules for just war. That's a very important statement. It's part of deep theology. Well, it means that we can justify fighting a war if we can meet certain criterion that are outlined by both Catholic and evangelical theologians. You have to meet certain criterion. He's going to call for that, but the Islamic nation is going to see that as a fulfillment of their 450-year-old hadith, which says that at the end times, they would go to war against the army of Rome. And people but, have but thought, Rome doesn't have a big army. They're going to, because there's going to be a coalition army. It's going to be made up of the United States, United Nations, Britain, Muslim countries, countries are going to come in, but they're going to see their Christian justification for this war through this call by the Pope, and that's why the Muslims are going to see this as a new crusade, the final crusade, a battle against the armies of Rome. However, in the same way that the end of World War II led to Zionism finally getting its legs under it, the United States, Britain, the United Nations started calling for a Jewish state, a Jewish nation, and in 1948, what happens? miracle happens. The, the nation of Israel, the fig tree blossoms, right? And guess what happens? The church that was asleep at that moment, they saw prophecy unfolding before their very eyes, and it gave birth to what we today call the age of fire, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. Your old friend Catherine Kuhlman, A.A. A. Allen, Billy Branham, tent revivals, tabernacle revivals. It gave birth to one of the greatest revivals in the history of humanity.
humanity, and that is what I'm going to predict. A lot of my prophetic friends don't even believe me. They say that America's going down. I think we could, by the way, have an economic collapse. Some of that stuff could happen, but I don't see that the church is dead. What I see is that we are right now near the first fruits of the greatest revival in the history of humanity. Angelic manifestations. And the other part that you're going to love that I'm going to write about later is a revival among Jews that will turn messianic large numbers of Jews. What you've always dreamed of and prayed of is going to happen in this revival. Well, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to tell you something. There is a move of God. Just open your eyes. There, I mean, I don't have eyes for the doom and gloomers. I have eyes for the greatest awakening the world has ever seen. I mean, Jesus is not going to return with people not knowing who he is and having a chance, an option to have their sins forgiven, to have Jesus, the creator of the universe, live inside of them, to have his wisdom. I'm telling you, this is the greatest generation in history to be alive. And you and I are here. We have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. So stop having your head down. Stop worrying about your food and your money and your shotgun right there. Look up. Your redemption draws nigh. Hi. Welcome, Saints. Welcome. Welcome to the Bella Blog. I'm so glad you guys could join me. And thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I do so much appreciate that. And and so many of you just edify me, you know, with your such positive comments. Thank you, thank, thank you so much, Saints. I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate that um, for you that follow me. And if you aren't following me, subscribe to my channel. I'd really appreciate your support. Anyways, um, I, like I say on my videos, please discern all of it and discern all stuff, you know, everybody's videos or any material you're reading. Just discern it, just to be safe, okay? Better be safe than sorry, and that's what the Bible says for us to do. Okay, so I had this really awesome, awesome dream, you guys, yesterday on October 7th. Really cool dream. It was about the millennium. Yay! I never had a millennium dream. You know, and it's weird because I was praying to the Lord about that. I said, Lord, I want a millennium dream, please. I hope you... You know, and I was praying to the Holy Spirit. I was like, I hope you guys give me a millennium dream because I always hear all these people, they always have these millennium dreams and I really wanted one. So anyway, so this is a word of encouragement and that's the one I wanted to say. All right, so... In this dream, I was living in this really tiny, tiny apartment. And, you know, in real life, I don't live in an apartment. And it looked like it was a really busy city. Because when I walked out the door, there was all these people all over the place. And I'm just not used to that because I live out in the country. And I just remember moving. Like, I was going to move to uh, a place with many rooms. It was going to be a house with many rooms, okay? So then the next picture I get is I moved to this house, and it was like open, you know? And it was beautiful. It was like really, really peaceful, you know? Just something we dream about. And I remember um, animals, 
they were all over. You know, they just lived in unity. And um, I remember these animals just coming into my house and just hanging out, you know. And it was like bears and lambs, foxes and dogs and cats and all these birds. Because I love birds because I'm always feeding them all the time. So I always have a lot of birds where I live. So it was like birds and, and, and it was just like a lot of animals. And they were just hanging out with me. And I remember having this long table, a wooden table. And it was in my dining room. Because it was like a double door that just opened in, you know, and it was all, all open. And um, they were just eating and having dinner with me. And they were all happy and they were just loving on each other. And it was just, you know, really peaceful and, and loving. You know, we just all coexisted together, you know. It was wonderful. It was like this, just this beautiful unity, you know, the way the world should have been. So I was praying to the Holy Spirit and the Lord to to lead me to scripture. So he did, and um, I'm going to read those to you because I had never, you know, I don't, I didn't know this after I, I found this scripture about this, but in Isaiah 11, 6-9 in the KJV, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fat lean together, and a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones, shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the sucking child shall play on the hole of the ass, and the Wean child shall put his hand on the cockatrice, then they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. And that's a scripture regarding millennium, okay? And then um, Isaiah 55, verse 12, God will bring peace what reconciliation will look like. Okay, and it just like like I said, all the wild and tame creatures shall all agree together. You know, it literally means that there's going to be a relations of animals to man and each other, restoring the state of Eden. So we're all going to just coexist peacefully together. And then, like as far as the many rooms, as in John fourteen two, it says, "In my Father's house are many mansions." If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And then in Isaiah 65:25, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall straw like the bullock, and the dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So I don't know if you folks out there or you're, you're newbies in Christ or you you haven't heard of this before. When What the millennium is, is when Jesus comes down again, you know, after the tribulation um, and he regains the world, he will rule the world for a thousand years. 
and this period of time will be known as the millennium and the millennium will be a time of peace and righteousness and Jesus will cleanse the earth from sin before the millennium begins and all wicked people will be destroyed and only the righteous people will be saved to live on the earth at this time and Satan will have no power over people again until the end of time so for a thousand years and then he's going to come back at the end of the thousand years and then in like Romans 8 21 through 22 it says because the creatures itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of children of God for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now and also I found it in Revelation 5 8 through 13 all creatures recognize Jesus as the Savior of the world and praise God right along with redeemed men Amen. So that's, I felt that that was a dream about the millennium and how we would all coexist with the animals, like it says in scripture. Wouldn't that be glorious? It would. Maranatha. Because Adonai is just so wonderful to, to give that back to us, you know? And, you know, I'm a student in, in Christ. And I'm still learning, it's, you know, trying to learn how to interpret my dreams. You know, I'm, you know, I have to pray about it to get my answers. It's not something man can 